843-661-7. Good morning, Royal Rev Radio. Good morning. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Josh, I want to lead off with you if you don't mind. We ain't talking football. Okay. And we established yesterday that Clemson will find a home somewhere, um, somehow. I'm sure of it. Um, I, I talked to some Clemson fans yesterday. That they're like, making an assumption here because they have a home in the ACC. Well, I mean, they have a home for now. I mean, but, but <laughs> they're, Cle- they're moving. Well, I mean, I, I think they eventually okay. will. Um, but I was talking to Clemson fans yesterday who said, you know, I like the money of the Big Ten, but I don't like the fact that there would be no regional rivalries, really. I mean, there, there would not be. Clemson would be much better served going to Knoxville or Georgia coming to Clemson or going to um, Auburn. Or the Gators coming to town. I mean, that there would be so much more intrigue than you know Clemson at Northwestern, Indiana at Clemson. I mean, there's just not a uh, a, a geographic. What, what am I? I there's just no. There wouldn't be an intensity there. I mean, I'll be back up. There would be an intensity if Clemson played Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. I mean, obviously those are national brands without question. But I still think Clemson's a Southern cultured institution. They're a football-dominant program. They belong in the SEC. Maybe the Gamecocks could do this, Rev, and that handshake deal they've got. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Gamecocks could say, if you guarantee us winning two of every three games, welcome <laughs> aboard. You know, can, can we throw two of three football games until we catch up? That'd take 100 years. Yeah, Once say. we catch up, <laughs> then the deal's off, okay? How about that? How about the Gamecocks cut a deal with Clemson? You get to come to the SEC. You get to enjoy all the regional rivalries. You get to get all that money, but you got to let us win two or three games until until we catch up. And once the um, I mean, I'd be dead and gone. But once the schedule is back Long is back time. equal, then the, the deal's off every man uh, for himself. But I want to go to Josh. Josh would be an interesting. Um, I'd love to hear what he has to say about what's happening today. Um, I've tried to spend the last twenty four hours understanding really and truly put emotions aside let's talk about the legalities you know what are the legal challenges the the prosecution has what are the legal challenges um that donald trump has in this particular indictment now there's another one coming uh, down the pike and i think trump said on true social uh one more indictment ensures my my victory uh we shall see how that how that goes but 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 josh is a younger guy um what do you make of all this I mean, that's a, that's kind of a generic question. Very, very, very. I mean, that, that's in, in general terms. I'm not asking about this obstruction charge or that conspiracy charge or this mishandling of classified information charge. But, but in general, Josh, what what do you make of what's happening with former President Trump and the the DOJ, the Biden administration, the federal government, uh, the cathedral? I mean, just kind of kind of just rambled about for a moment or two because I'd be very interested in that. Right. Well, uh, despite what Jeff and even John Decker have to say, I think this is, in fact, a witch hunt. I think that Trump legitimately posed a threat to the establishment. And I think the establishment consists of controlled opposition to a certain degree. So I think that though the establishment leans very liberal, they do have conservatives within it. And I think, you know, in 2016 or 2015, like, the Jeb Bushes and Ted Cruz at the time, these were the comfortable candidates. And Trump is not a comfortable candidate to the establishment. So they want to get rid of him, which we saw. They they, they were not holding back at all during his uh, presidency. 
And even since he has no longer been president, they ha- they're now trying to throw him in jail. And I think that they don't want him to run and win. Definitely not. But they also don't want him to run and lose because the comf- the the country, you know, his supporters won't like that. You know, and the, and you know, we're gonna. S- Probably. When you say they don't want him to run and lose, explain. Because there are some people out there that believe this is what the Democrats are doing. They know the indictment creates a more intense loyalty amongst his base. Uh, but they know that when they indict him, the likelihood that he increases his lead in the Republican primary, um, but but it makes him more vulnerable right. in a general. Well, uh, I, do you ascribe to that? Kind of, yeah. So look, what I mean by that is look at the last time he run and lost. There was, in their mind, an insurrection, a, a, the, the makings of a threat to their power, which they don't want. So what I think they're trying to do is they're trying to throw everything they can at him to try and throw him in jail so that they can offer him a deal where it's like, hey, drop out of the race and we'll kind of let all this stuff, you know, fall to the wayside you know, we'll 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 make a show of it. May last uh, might last another two years or so, but eventually, it'll you know it'll fall out. You of get to sleep minds. in your bed every night. Yeah, because if he quits, his supporters will they'll be disappointed, and and they'll still support him. But ultimately, the fire will die down if he quits, which I think is what they want. Because if, like I said, they don't want him to run and lose, because then he's almost. You know, because if he runs, loses, and is in jail, well, now he's a martyr. He's in a, he's even more of a historical figure than ever before. But if he cuts a deal and 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 saves, you know, it has the ability to sleep in his own bed. The 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 movement diminishes. Yes. Almost instantaneously. Yes. I'll agree with that. Okay. Here's a theory that I have. Okay. And this is not a um, a mainstream theory. The mainstream theory, and I've read it over and over and over again from very accomplished pundits. The mainstream theory is the Democrats, the cathedral, um, the establishment, they know that this makes it more likely he wins the Republican primary. They know the indictment. Everybody in Washington is well aware that the indictment of Donald Trump, the the second indictment of Donald Trump, the third indictment of Donald Trump, the fourth indictment of Donald Trump makes it more likely every time that he's the Republican nominee. I mean, it's just like, you know, let's circle the wagons. Let's rally the forces. Um, it would be interesting to see Reb, and I don't know this. Robert Cahaley will be with us at 8.05. I got a hold of Robert yesterday and said, man, I just think our audience needs to hear from you uh, about some of the polling and data and, you know, so, some of the strategist and, and pollster side of this. But, um, but, but I, I believe that they believe that's their best chance to get him. They don't want to run against DeSantis. I mean, I think even Rev's admitted that DeSantis is probably a more uh, a more formidable candidate in a general election. I mean, he's a little less controversial. He, he's a little less egotistical, a little less narcissistic, a little more acceptable. That would be a better word. He's a little more acceptable to, to the mainstream. Um, now, now, you a have a concern. Well, I mean, th- we have a concern about, yeah, but, I mean, how close to the mainstream is he? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't want a mainstream candidate. If we'd want that, we'd vote for Jeb Bush. And we we dig up John McCain, or you know we'd want Mitt Romney back in the vault. You see where I'm headed, right? And, and you know that all the forces will, if he's the nominee, the forces will line up against him, just like they sure. are against I mean, Trump. He, in no, fact, no what you'll hear, mark my words, what you'll hear is, man, you thought Trump was bad. This guy 
is worse. He, he's, he's as bad as Trump, but smart. Right. I mean, that's what it'll be. I mean, yeah. he, he's oh, as yeah. bad as Trump, but he's smart. I mean, this guy's meticulous. He's methodical. Did you see what he did to Disney? I mean, do you know he hates gay people? And he's smart enough to go about, you know, making interracial marriage outlaw? I mean, that, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll all agree we, we accept DeSantis as a watered-down Trump, but we don't believe he's Mitt Romney. I mean, I think that's unfair to DeSantis. I mean, I've heard some of that accusation out there. There's no difference in DeSantis and Romney. No, nah, there's a lot of difference in DeSantis and Romney. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of difference. Um, Ron DeSantis governed Florida in, in a very aggressive uh, America first kind of way. So, so I think to suggest that there's no difference in DeSantis and Mitt Romney is just unfair to Ron DeSantis. But, but he would be more accepted in the mainstream. He probably gives the Republicans a better chance to win the White House in, uh, in November. Um, but the, the, the mainstream theory amongst the smart pundits out there is the Democrats are indicting Donald Trump to make it more likely he wins the Republican primary so they can beat him in the general. And the reason you want to run against Trump in a general rev is you don't have to talk about Biden's failures. He, Trump, you've got to talk about Trump, right? I mean, we're seeing that now. I mean, God bless Vivek Ramaswamy and, and Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and Mike Pence and whomever else is in this race. I mean, there just ain't no room. I'm sorry. I mean, there, there's just not any oxygen left in the room when Donald Trump gets through with the news cycle. I mean, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's, you know, mainstream media. The majority hate him, a few like him, but he's the central story. Um, there's a story out there about Asa Hutchinson that has a 1,000 views. There's a story about Donald Trump has 20 million. I mean, he's just the dominant, he's just such a dominant force. Love and hate. I mean, it's not, he's Steve Spurrier, right? I mean, you know, you, you, he's Ric Flair. You, you know, half the people that went to the wrestling match went to hope get Ric Flair get beat. You know, I mean, he's just a controversial figure. I don't buy that. You know, there's a bit of me that believes this. And I don't know that I've said this over the air. There's a bit of me that believes the Democrats ain't sure they beat him in 20. Okay. I, I get that. And they're genuinely trying to beat him to death now so they don't have to deal with him again in 2020. I mean, I, I believe this. I, I know for a fact that indictments make him stronger. I mean, there's no question about that. He he, he becomes more likely the nominee. I mean, the polls show that. The, the betting odds show that. The, the indictments don't. I mean, it's not a it's not a, a, a kind of a net neutral event, but it, it helps Donald Trump. I mean, that's where we are in America. Uh, you know, a contender for president gets indicted. That's normally the end. I mean, he has his wife standing beside him, and he says, you know, I've made mistakes. It's time for me to go back back home and get my life together. I mean, we've seen politician after politician, myself included, get in trouble and have that moment that they say, I made mistakes. I've got to own my mistakes. Um, you know, I, I asked for forgiveness, and I'm going back home. Nope, 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 nope. Not in Trump's case. You know, I didn't make any mistakes. I'm not going back home. They're out to get me. And his polls increase. His popularity increases in, in the primary. But there's a bit of me that believes this is to end his political career by putting him in prison, making him a felon, and he can't run again. Um, I mean, he can run as a felon. There, there's some issue out there about whether he can be on certain ballots in certain states if he's a convicted felon. Now, but there, there's some. Remember, we said we don't want the federal government running elections. And there's some question about legalities in certain, I think it's seven or eight states, that if Trump's a convicted felon, 
that there's some sort of process that he may have to go through. Once again, that's lawfare. I mean, that's legal theory, never been tested. I'm not sure we'll get there. But but if he's the nominee and he's a convicted felon, that there, there may be some hoops he has to jump through to be eligible to be on certain ballots. I mean, I think he can get there, but there'll be some legal challenges, legal theories out there. But but I, I'm convinced now, and, and I could be wrong. I mean, I've been wrong a million times. I'm convinced that they aren't sure they beat him in 20. And they know he's going to be the nominee, whether they indict him or not. I mean, he's going to be the nominee. I mean, he's got 40% of the GOP base in his pocket. The, the interesting part of the polling that I'd like to talk to Robert about, and, and this is when you know something's kicking inside the GOP. And, and I don't think we've got recent polling to show any of this. Is Trump beginning to take votes away from Ramaswamy? Is Trump beginning to take votes away from Tim Scott? Is Trump beginning to take votes away from the, 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 the Ron DeSantis crowd? In other words, there was a, there was a lot of voters out there, millions, that said, man, I, I, you know, I think Trump was treated unfairly. I think Trump was a pretty good president but I kind of want to win, and I think DeSantis gives us a better chance to win, has the, has the indictments of the DOJ motivated those people to say, to hell with everything, I'm back in Trump's camp. I mean, I like this Ramaswamy guy. I mean, I thought he was a more articulate, you know, and a, um, a, a little more, a little more, what am I trying? He's more respectful or appears to be a little more respectful of the process. Um, I mean, he says out just, just the most aggressive things imaginable. I mean, if you listen to, listen to Ramaswamy, I mean, it, Trump doesn't get as aggressive as he does. Uh, not in his not really? his articulation. They don't. I mean, Ramaswamy is out there on some of these things, but but it, but he, he's a little more cerebral. I think we'd agree to that. I mean, he's, he seems to be a little more thoughtful. Uh, Trump bull in the china shop. He would be a you know a, uh, a, a a jaguar in a china shop. Not quite. A little more agile. You know, a little more delicate. Not quite a, as in your face. And aggressive, but but I'm convinced now that there's some in the Democrat orbit who are beginning to believe, hey man, the dude. I mean, I don't know how the conversations go in Obama world, but that's where this is coming from. Obama world. Charles said something interesting yesterday. I mean, the media's always been left, but the post-Obama media. I mean, that that's the day they sold their soul, or that's the president they sold their soul for. And I guess you know to do the right thing. America has a history with slavery and a civil war. You got a chance to vote for an African-American. Let's do it. You know, let's try to amend that issue. Let's try to right that wrong. Let's try to get, you know, um, God's graces back on our good side, so to speak. And the media just refused to cover anything negative about or anything questionable, not even negative, anything questionable about about his past. Uh, they just blew past some of those stories, you know, about uh, where was he born? What has he ever done? What does he believe in? Um, he says he's a Christian. Is he? It doesn't matter to me. I mean, whether you're Christian or not, it's just if you say you are, let's find out if indeed, if indeed you are. But um, but but I, you know, I think that's where we are. I think the Democrats, maybe a year and a half ago, when Trump threw his hat back in the ring, said, "Look, man, I'm not sure we beat this guy last time." I mean, he got 75 million votes. I mean, do we really believe that we can drum up enough to beat him again? I don't know. And the last thing we need. I mean, if you're an elitist. If you're in the establishment, if you're a member of the cathedral, the last thing you need is Donald Trump winning again. Because I can tell you this, if Trump wins 
and is not as vindictive as I think he should be, I'm deeply disappointed. <laughs> I mean, I think right. I think vindication has to be what he runs on. I mean, if given the opportunity Payback again, because you got to admit this about Trump, guys, he hired John Bolton. He hired Christopher Ray. I understand, but he didn't know where to bump the drink machine so the Pepsi would come out the way it should have. I mean, I understand some local knowledge and influence, but if Donald Trump happens to get elected again and isn't as vindictive as any president we've ever had in American history, and I'm talking about put Andrew Jackson to shame. I'm talking about indict Jack Smith. I'm talking about go after Merrick Garland. I'm talking about making criminals out of all these people that are trying to make him him criminals. If he doesn't go in with that attitude, I mean, I understand inflation and governing and all that and, you know, the America First agenda. I mean, there will be a place for that. But I think first and foremost, Trump has to, I mean, if he gets elected and if he's reelected president, I hope and pray that he's the most vindictive president this country has ever, ever seen. And I, I think he will be because I, you know, I think what he did when he became president the first time was he was talking about lock up Hillary Clinton, lock up this person and that person. Then he became president and he was probably advised, well, now that you're president, tensions will cool down. You don't want to you don't want to make unnecessary enemies. People will play fair now that you're in office, which didn't happen. So I think he was trying to appeal to moderates and by not locking up Hillary Clinton and trying to be all, a good trying to be a good yeah, president for the good of the country trying I to be think. a good president exactly and it 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 backfired and now I think he's like you know what it's if I get in it's my last term I'm raising hell I'm firing like burn it to several the thousand bureaucrats burn it to the ground exactly that, that's I mean that's what it, it which now they're super afraid of yeah and then they should be because mm-hmm. their livelihoods are at stake we'll take a break we'll be back I want to play some Alan Dershowitz on the other side. We may cue that up, not come back to me, come directly back to, um, I think he was on Larry Kudlow's show yesterday with Cash Patel. Um, and, and Dershowitz, I told Rev, Dershowitz is a pretzel right now. I mean, he's got himself <laughs> tied into triple-double, quadruple knots. He's a constitutionalist. He's a liberal Democrat. He doesn't like Trump, but he certainly doesn't like the way they've trampled on the Constitution in hot pursuit of DJT. Take a break. All right, that's my riff. Just saying non-lawyer anyway we have a distinguished panel joining us cash patel former deputy director national intelligence uh former dod chief of staff he's a former prosecutor himself and uh the very distinguished uh professor emeritus alan dershowitz uh from the harvard law school and the author of get trump the threat to civil liberties due process and our constitutional rule of law. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. Professor Dershowitz, as always, sir, it's a pleasure. Um, I'm not going to ask you to comment on my riff. It was a political riff. Um, I understand that. But I don't understand the charges. I don't understand if you rule out insurrection, they didn't have anything about breaching the Capitol in there. The rest of this stuff to this non-lawyer, it just kind of looks to me like they're trying to bust them for the gobbledygook of legal arguments that basically boil down to free speech. And you can't get busted and prosecuted and thrown in jail or shot at for being wrong about free speech. But, Professor Dershowitz, you tell us. Well, first of all, for a non-lawyer, you do a pretty darn good job of correctly <laughs> stating the law. So I want to congratulate you. Thank You're you. absolutely right. This case is all about the First Amendment mm. and the right to be wrong. I was a law clerk 
back in 1964 when the Supreme Court wrote New York Times versus Sullivan. Mm. And basically it said, look, if newspapers get it wrong, if the media gets it wrong, that's still protected by the First Amendment. They have to have actual malice. And that's essentially what's going to have to be proved here. You're going to have to prove that Donald Trump himself subjectively believed that he had lost the election fair and square. But he didn't believe that. He was wrong, but he didn't believe it. And the Supreme Court has said in an opinion by Justice Rehnquist, Chief Justice Rehnquist, under the First Amendment, there's no such thing as a false opinion or a false idea. The response to a false idea is the marketplace of ideas or Election Day. So you're absolutely right. This is a very, very dangerous indictment, dangerous to the First Amendment and also dangerous to the Sixth Amendment because it directly goes after Trump's lawyers, names them as unindicted co-conspirators without giving their names, but basically says they're criminals for giving him advice as to how to challenge oh. the election. What would they rather do? Oh. Go on the street and have protests? The way to challenge elections, come up with an alternate slate of electors, challenge the process, go to court. That's what they did. The judges ruled against them. But that's not a crime. Interesting. And thank you for that, Professor Dershowitz. You're very kind. Um, Cash Patel, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, we, we never do you justice because you're a defense and intel expert, but you're also a former prosecutor yourself. And I just want to get your take on the case. You heard Professor Dershowitz. Uh, you can agree or disagree or someplace in between. But Cash, just tell me what you're thinking. Thanks so much for having me on. I'll probably fall short of the mark of you and the professor, but here's my take on the indictment. Let's look at a couple of the actual charges in this instance. Conspiracy against rights, a Section 241 crime. Larry, do you know what the first sentence of that statute is? If two or more people in disguise on a highway... Yes, you heard me. If two or more people in disguise on a highway go about with the intent to interfere with a right, they are, good, they are guilty of conspiracy of rights. This statute is older than the Espionage Act of 1917, which they baselessly used to charge Donald Trump in the Florida case. Mm. They didn't charge him with possession of classified documents there because they didn't have it. They didn't charge him with insurrection, sedition, or treason here because they don't have it because he's innocent of that. So now they're stretching back to 1900 to charge him with a uh, crime that we used to prosecute people who corrupted society on highways and blocked people's rights to free speech. Mm. That is the stretch there. The second charge is the 371 conspiracy. That's our catch-all dry conspiracy, as prosecutors say. They didn't charge him with conspiracy to commit treason, conspiracy to commit insurrection, conspiracy to commit sedition, because Donald Trump didn't do those things, as you two pointedly put out. But they put a catch-all in there, like the professor said, and included his lawyers to say, we disagree with Donald Trump's assessment of the election, so we're going to label it a conspiracy, which is a total violation of free speech and the First Amendment. Right, that, no can, one is going to convince me can, or anyone else on planet Earth that Donald Trump doesn't believe he won the 2020 election. You, right. He's entitled to that opinion. Just on that point, again, you're talking to a non-lawyer, okay? But look, why are his counselors not have free speech. What happened to their free speech? Right. I don't understand Of that. course, they, they also have a Sixth Amendment right to counsel. But you know the worst thing about this indictment? Under the terms of this indictment, Jack Smith can be indicted. Let me explain to you oh. why. The statute says the following. If two or more persons uh, conspire to injure uh, and deny somebody the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured him by the Constitution, what if a court ultimately rules 
that Donald Trump had a right under the First Amendment to make his January 6th speech and to do what he did, then Jack Smith will have conspired to deny him wow. of that right. That's wow. how serious this is. Wow. And Jack Smith also, in his indictment, deliberately, willfully, and maliciously leaves out the words that President Trump spoke on January 6th in his terrible speech, which I disagree with. Mm. But what he said was, I want you to assemble peacefully and patriotically. Mm. Jack Kemp leaves that out. Mm. That is a lie, ah. a lie, an omission lie. And, and if you're going to indict somebody for telling lies, don't tell lies in the indictment. If you're going to indict somebody for denying people their constitutional rights, don't deny them their constitutional rights by indicting them for free speech. That's how hypocritical this is. Well, that's a great point. Thank you, Alan. That's a really good point. Um, you know, Cash Patel, I'm going to step back. Uh, you've been in the, in the government. You've been in the political game. I mean, I just find the whole thing incredible. These are not a series of coincidences. Every time something happens that puts Joe Biden on the front pages for some damn scandal or family scandal, and I know there are allegations, they're not proven yet, but I'm just saying, as the evidence mounts, it just seems like every time that happens, he figures out a way to get his Justice Department and or to direct his special counsels. By the way, he's got special counsels for his own documents. Nobody can find that guy. I don't know where, what country he's in. He's probably at the gaming tables in Montenegro. But the point is... Where is this can't be. This is pure politics cash. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, you have this thing. It, I mean, it just happened two days ago. It, it just happened. Hunter Biden's best friend gets up there and links uh, Papa Biden with great clarity to potential scandals, to money laundering. To Let's come back. I, I don't want to go down that road. I mean, I, they eventually go down that road with Biden. And I mean, this is more about, you know, the, the indefensible indictment. And um, and I said you know, as a non-lawyer, I mean, Larry Kudlow and I have that in pro, in, uh, in common. It seemed to me to be a free speech case. When I, when I read the 45-page indictment, I heard uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the opinions given back and forth, some of the punditry, mind you. I mean, it's not that complicated as far as I'm concerned. I went back and read uh, Andy McCarthy's review again in the National Review about um, you know conspiracy to defraud the United States. That's one of the charges. Um, when you, when you go back and look, there was a unanimous Supreme Court decision called uh, Simonelli versus the United States found the federal fraud statutes criminalize only schemes that deprive people of traditional property uh, interest. If the court, I mean, the court was in unanimous agreement that fraud in federal criminal law is confined to deceptive schemes to obtain money or tangible property. The, the, the Simonelli case was about so Dave Baker goes to a restaurant, and the restaurant advertises the best of service, the best of price. Rev gets there, and the service sucks. I mean, the service is not good. They didn't defraud Rev, did they? I mean, they, they, they may have had a bad day at the office. Mm -hmm. their, their waitress and wait staff may suck. The, the, the busboy may not be good they at cleaning it? up tables. They but, should. yeah, but that, you know, when they their put— their intent, I guess. Better believe it. But, you know, is, is criminal law, are we going to get to a place where someone puts on their website the best service in, in Florence, the best service in Sumter, the best service in Orangeburg, and Rev goes to that restaurant, and they don't provide the best service. The service sucks. And, and Rev hires a lawyer and says, this restaurant defrauded me. I mean, is that where we're coming to? So the courts have said there is no service expectation. 
Oh, but they, they're, they're saying that they're going to give you the best service because when they invite you, they believe they are going to give you uh, the best service they can. They think their wait staff will have a good day that day. They didn't know that you know, somebody got mad at somebody, the phone rang, and it was uh, you know their daughter in jail or what. I mean, you know, and their, their, their mind was a million miles away. I mean, crap happens. Living gets messy. Things don't always work as they should. We, we know that. But, but this legal jiu-jitsu that Jack Smith is trying is basically, I mean, that's the argument. And Simonelli versus the United States says that fraud in federal criminal law is confined to the deceptive scheme to obtain money or tangible property. What did Trump defraud? He believes he won the election. There were these avenues available to contest the election, and he tried them all. I mean, he tried replacing electors with other electors. He tried, you know, talking the General Assembly or the legislative branch in certain states into not sending these electors but other electors. He tried to convince Mike Pence to do something that Pence says he was not constitutionally able to do. But Trump believed it. He was willing to do whatever it took to win the election because he felt Joe Biden didn't get more legitimate votes than he did. Now, I'm not arguing whether he did or didn't. That's not the point. It's not a point about who really won the election. The point is, did Donald Trump really believe he won the election? And did he have a right to redress his grievances? I mean, the last time or I checked the First, the First Amendment. Amendment, he does. But, but, but the, the liberals in America today don't care much for the First Amendment. They don't believe they can win the debates. So instead of trying to win the debate, let's not have the debate. Let's charge someone with a crime. And we're criminalizing political activities. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's bizarre to me that people will defend this. Um, I mean, if we're going to indict an American president for the first time in history, are we going to have these non-financial theories of fraud? I mean, is that really what we're, I mean, if we're comfortable with this? I get you hate Trump. I get, you know, Cheeto Jesus bad. I mean, I understand all that. I've got many friends in my life that don't care a nickel for Donald Trump. I respect that. I understand that. I sympathize to some degree with that. I don't feel the way you do because I want to burn it to the ground. I respect that you don't. But but are we going to be comfortable with, with and, and I go back to what Bree said, you know, I'm willing to die for my country. I am not willing to die for my government. And the, and, and the government is misrepresenting the constitutional issues that have afforded us to be such a blessed and, and prosperous nation. But, but indicting on a theory, it, it, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's one of the most irresponsible indictments you could ever have. I think Donald Trump mishandled classified information. But I do. I think Donald Trump may have obstructed justice in, in the Mar-a-Lago case. I mean, I think we'll get to the bottom of that. And, and, and maybe there's punishment. Uh, you know, it's selective prosecution. I think we can all agree to that because we know that George W. Bush mishandled classified information. We know that Bill Clinton mishandled classified information. We know that Hillary Clinton mishandled classified information. We know that Barack Obama mishandled classified information. We know that Joe Biden today is under investigation, we think, with some, with some special counsel for mishandling classified information. So selective prosecution, I mean, let's go after this guy for mishandling this classified information, but let's not go after any of the others that may or may not have mishandled classified information. 
but but we're but we're arguing that Donald Trump defrauded the United States, and the courts have clearly said. And I, I use that as an analogy, and I think that's an appropriate analogy. I own a restaurant. I put on my website the best price and best service you'll ever get in your life. Dave Baker goes to my restaurant, and the service sucks. Does Baker have the right to sue me? I mean, he got a shrimp plate. He paid, you know, twelve ninety nine. And he went home. I mean, I didn't fraud him out. I did not give him the food. I mean, if he pays twelve ninety nine, didn't get any food, that's a financial matter, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the courts have said um, traditional property itself, uh, deceptive schemes to obtain money or tangible property. What money or tangible property is in play here? None. It's nothing. I mean, this is a free speech issue, and, and I have no idea. I mean, I had two lawyers text me yesterday, and, and even in their text I get confused. It's going to be hard for Trump. It's not going to be hard for him to get this to the appellate court, but it's going to be hard to get it to the appellate court before he loses in this um with this judge. You know, I was hoping he could make a motion to dismiss. The judge would deny that motion to dismiss, and then the appellate court would hear, and eventually the Supreme Court. I don't think that can happen. I think he's got to lose the case. At the what would that be? The um, is that what what level of court is that? I mean, the federal, federal court. court. Yeah, the federal court, and then it goes to the appellate court, and then eventually goes to the to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the reason I'm reading the U.S. Supreme Court decision, that's eventually who's going to decide. Now he may have to go through the embarrassment and spend millions of dollars defending himself for this judge and this jury in Washington D.C. Good luck with Trump and and you know a, an African American judge, an African American female, less likely to be supportive of Trump than anybody on this planet in Washington, D.C., the least likely place in America to be supportive of Donald Trump. But I think the the Supreme Court will eventually get this, and they've already confirmed or affirmed that the federal fraud statute criminalized only schemes to deprive people of traditional property interests unanimously decided, unanimously decided that fraud in federal criminal law is confined to deceptive schemes to obtain money, or tangible property. What money or tangible property did Donald Trump defraud the good old U.S. of A. out of? Ponder on that, if you will. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Now, if you were a conspiracy theorist, you would believe that Jack Smith's indictment was to stop the media from talking about this story involving Joe and Hunter Biden. Fox uh, obtained the transcript interview between the House Oversight Committee and uh, Hunter Biden's business associate, Devin Archer. Um, there was, we talk a lot about branding. You know, the SEC has a brand. The Big Ten has a brand. Um, Devin Archer says the Bidens had a brand. Fox News Radio's Ryan Schmelz is in our nation's capital. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Just found out what the Weiner line is, and I think it's the greatest thing ever now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, now nice. I want to I pick at something just for a second, and then I'll get out of your way and let you kind of give us the journalistic report of this. But, but. Congressman Goldman said in his post-interview interview that the Bidens were giving the illusion of access. The transcript says that that was his choice of words, that, that when Goldman asked the question, he asked it, so, so you're talking about the illusion of access, and, and Archer pushed back a little bit. Is that, is that a proper interpretation of the transcript on that particular issue? Well, that, that's what it might look like a little bit, yeah. And I think one thing that Goldman is, was pretty – 
staunch about on Monday when he was defending this was that he believes that, yes, these dinners did happen, and yes, these phone calls did happen, and he definitely didn't deny them. But he believes that, you know, whenever these happened, there was no talk about, you know, business, and all the conversations remained uh, about personal issues. And, you know, I think the weather was one example that he used. So that's kind of been the defense you're hearing from Democrats. But certainly there's plenty of examples in this transcript of President Biden being at either a dinner or on, a, on the phone line, you know, with his son talking to other people who, you know, had some pretty substantial business uh, affiliations with Hunter Biden going on at the time. So certainly you have a lot of examples of that. But whether or not President Biden, you know, participated or, or benefited from any of these, I think that's still the question. But it is pretty clear, Ryan, that it contradicts what he said or what he's consistently yeah. said about I know nothing and knew nothing about my son's business dealings. That's just fundamentally dishonest. Yeah, it, it, based off what, what we've seen based on Archer's testimony, what the White House has said where President Biden just had no knowledge whatsoever and never talked to his son about his business dealings, it's going to be hard to defend that moving forward because there's just a lot of examples here of President Biden being, you know, in the room with a lot of Hunter Biden's business associates. And, you know, whether or not they talked about, you know, certain things related to business, I think that's still up in the air. But certainly this does contradict a lot of the White House's defenses up to this point. So what do we expect the oversight? committee to do next do we have any idea well i think they're going to probably try to pursue some of these other witnesses who had some type of business affiliation with hunter biden certainly you know when you talk about somebody like devin archer this is somebody who's very close with hunter biden and had a lot of business experience with him but they do run into the issue with devin archer of him you know potentially coming under the criticism of being a flawed witness because of his legal history but you know there certainly are a lot of other people who have done business with hunter biden who could potentially get the Oversight Committee more information that could lead them to the truth. So I think they're definitely going to be trying to find more witnesses. And, you know, I think Archer may have pointed them in the direction of some of them. Ryan, there's a famous scene in Jerry Maguire, show me the money, show me the money, yeah. show, you know, yelling. I mean, Comer has said that they have bank records. They, they have a paper trail, so to speak. Will that be made public? And when can we expect that to be made public? Well, if, if in fact that they do have those and, and they're going to pursue potentially an impeachment inquiry and some people are predicting that could happen maybe in the fall, you know, I think it would definitely benefit James Comer to make those public if in fact he has them. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a matter of show me the money when in fact the Republicans try to pursue this if they're going to try to pursue it after all. Well explained. Ron, thank you for your time. Have a great weekend, sir. Hey, have a great weekend to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we built some camaraderie with these guys. And look, man, I, I'm not crazy. I mean, I, I understand John Decker and I had a little bit of a tiff yesterday. You know, and I love John to death. And I think John is genuinely uh, tries to be an honest broker. But, but he's one of them. Well, what do I mean by one of them? Read David Brooks in the New York Times and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. One of them. It, it, I told Rev during the break, the David Brooks piece in the New York Times is the most revealing op-ed that I've read since I've been doing this radio show. It is an introspection, an introspective admission that, and he goes into detail. I mean, he goes into specificity. Uh, the name of it is, um, and, and Brooks is a, uh, here I go with their quotes. You ready? A conservative columnist at the New York Times. I mean, he's the token conservative at the New York Times. He's a, um, I mean, he's a celebrated journalist. He's been around the block. He's been revered in some of the circles. Uh, he would be a neocon. He would be an old-school establishment Republican. I think he's a good and decent man. I mean, he doesn't care much for Trump at all. But but he kind of goes into great detail 
And the name of the um the name of the piece he writes is um maybe we're the bad guys or could we be the bad guys? And he goes into detail and it's something I've argued uh over the years. This 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 mindset of Ivy Plus. You know what that is? Um, Josh, you know what Ivy Plus is? I do not. It's Ivy League schools plus the Stanford's, the Dukes, the Vanderbilt's. Um, it would be the prestigious institutions. It would not be the University of South Carolina, Clemson, Francis Marion Coastal. It wouldn't be those universities. I'm not knocking those universities, but it would be the ones that we perceive to be prestigious, cut above, the elite universities in America, all the universities in the Ivy League, plus Stanford, Vanderbilt, I think the University of Chicago may be uh, one of those you know, universities that if you get a degree from there, man, you must be a cut above everybody, a little morally and intellectually superior to, to the, the mere mortals and the peasants that follow in, in Trump land. But, but he admits that maybe, just maybe, and I told Reb, this introspect, introspective admission, I think is predicated upon, I mean, either either shared a latte with somebody at a Starbucks in La Jolla, or he had a lobster bisque in Georgetown. I don't know when he had this revelation, but at some point in time, David Brooks, I mean, he doesn't operate in my world. He operates in that world, that world of insiders and establishment and elites and and, and kind of the educated ruling class, the credentialed class. And, and, and Brooks goes into, once again, c- kind of an introspective admission that could we be the problem? I mean, we're, we're looking at the unwashed, the peasants, you know, the, 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 this rowdy bunch of renegades that Trump brought to the dance. We can't let those guys near the lever of power. I mean, we, we can't let the, the, those unwashed, uneducated, you know, um, NASCAR fans near the, 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 the responsibilities of, of governing a nation as complicated as America. And, and he accepts that maybe, just maybe, I mean, I know the answer, and at least he's pondering the answer. The answer is hell yeah. Yes, you're out of touch. You're absolutely hung up on yourself and, and and those who look like you and sound like you and went to school where you are. But but he says that, you know, um, the media newsrooms are full of people who graduated from where? Francis Marion? USC? Clemson? No. I mean, it's full of people who, the people that are making the major decisions on behalf of American media today all went to Brown, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, Stanford, Duke, um, you know, some of these prestigious elite universities, the people that run the administrative agencies in government. You know, I mean, I've, I've done some research on this. I think one of every uh, one of every 2.75 bureaucrats with authority, I'm not talking about the guy sweeping the floor at the Pentagon. I'm talking about those who make decisions on behalf of our federal government. Roughly half of those went to about 16 or 17 universities in America. I mean, it's a monolith. And, and when you're a monolith, when I go to work every day and, and I went to Stanford and Rev went to Duke and Josh went to Harvard and everybody in my world went to one of those prestigious universities and, and we, we're kind of robotic in the way we see the world. And along comes um, somebody with a bald eagle tattoo on their bicep and along comes somebody driving a pickup truck with a gun on the, on the rack. Th- those people are dangerous. I mean, they must be kept away. Why are they dangerous? Because they're not like us. I mean, that, that guy with that pickup and that gun, he didn't go to Harvard. Who does he think he is? Does he really believe that he matters as much as I do? I mean, does he really believe that that person with that eagle tattoo on their bicep? I mean, they're a big old boy with a muscle shirt, but I mean, does he really believe that he's worthy of the positions that I, that I have influence over? Of course not. And, and he says that's the crux of this matter. 
And, and he's kind of, once again, in an introspective way saying, maybe I'm the bad guy. Why? wonder why now. Well, I mean, I, I, I thought of that. So, so why is he all of a sudden having this come to Jesus moment? I mean, Jesus ain't popular in his circles. But anyway, you know where I'm, <laughs> I'm using that as, a, as, as an example. Um, but, but I think that over a, a latte or lobster bisque, they decided, <laughs> they decided that we ain't going away. You know, this, uh, I mean, look at Trump's numbers. I mean, you know, you indict the guy, his numbers go up. You indict him again, his numbers go up again. And I think David, I think David Brooks and his, you know, his band of, I would say renegades, but that would be a, an insult to renegades. Right. His band of well-to-dos, <laughs> you know, they, once again, lobster bisque latte, they've decided, man, it, you know, th- these, these peasants have stayed around a lot longer than we thought they would. And they're probably more energized today than they ever have been. And I can't imagine him saying this, but he may have slipped and said, and there's an ass of them. I mean, there's a buttload of them. I mean, I think Obama is giving warnings now. Did you hear what Obama said a couple of days ago? Don't underestimate Trump. (laughs) You you do that at your own peril. Don't you underestimate Donald Trump and this army that he has. Um, And and I I just think Brooks is having a moment when, and once again, I don't think he's going to give up his gig. I mean, I think he likes the fact that he's in the club and, and the majority of Trumpsters aren't. But, but when you ask, why now? I mean, why did Brooks have this revelation now? Why did he write that now? I, I'm not, I can't get in Brooks's mind. I mean, the only Jack Smith can get in the minds of what people think, right. whether they say something or not. I mm. can't do that. I don't have that, 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 that super skill that Jack Smith apparently has. So I'm not going to say I know what Brooks is thinking. But, but I think he's accepted that this is a generational realignment. And for the rest of his life, the Republican Party that he is a part of it's not going to be about neoconservatism. It's not going to be about intervention and globalism. It's going to be, I mean, it's a, it, there's, a, there's a wind blowing, and we're not going to stop this wind blowing. And you can call it America First. You can call it MAGA. You can call it whatever you choose to call it. But there are people out here in flower country who believe that the Brookses of the world rigged the game. And if you didn't go to one of those 16 or 17 or 18 schools, you don't deserve a seat at the table. You're a little less qualified, a little less worthy. Uh, that, than we are. And I don't think it's all about compensation. I don't think it's all about money. I think it's all about that 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 monolith. I'm in the club. He's in the club. Uh, he didn't go to Yale, but he went to Harvard. He didn't go to Stanford, but he went to Duke. And, and surely these are the kinds of people we need to be in charge. Well, I'm like Tucker Carlson. I've got no problem with the ruling class if they're good at it. I, I just think we've, we've educated, indoctrinated, brainwashed a generation of leaders who just don't have the capacity or ability to lead but they think they deserve the right to lead because they did exactly what the book said they should do. They paged at the state house. They went to law school. They joined the National Guard. They went to Harvard. They took a master's class at Stanford. They took an online class at Duke. I mean, how dare you challenge me and my credentials? Credentials are, are simply words on a, on a sheet of paper. Uh, that The application, maybe we have another one of these examples of this introspective. It could be that, you know, I mean, I don't run the country. High school, I mean, college dropouts from towns no stoplight don't run the country. I mean, the country's run by these these elites from these prestigious institutions. I mean, I didn't have a big hand in $33 trillion in debt. I didn't have a big hand in, uh, you know, allowing these things to, I mean, we're a nation in decline. If we are a nation in decline, there's, there's two groups, and you can blame one or the other. Do you really blame America Firsters, or do you blame these elites? I mean, how much did the America First have to say about thirty-something trillion dollars in debt and a Fitch downgrade? No, and maybe that would be 
Brooks being honest with himself. Maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Maybe they aren't as bad as we thought they were. Now, now is it a con job? I don't know. I've always found Brooks to be sincere. I mean, he drives me crazy because he hates America first, but I've always found him to be a thoughtful and sincere man. And, you know, if, if, if you, I mean, it's a paywall. you got to subscribe, or they may give you a free article or two. But it's an interesting read. One of the most interesting reads that I've read since I've been hosting um, Good Morning PD that eventually became Wake Up Carolina. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You are on the air. Hey, kid, next time one of those punk sissies from Washington calls, I'll say, hold on a second, Hoss. I got Breeze on the line. I'll talk to you after him. <laughs> now, you know, another thing, though, kid, you know what? Dog, you know, you, were, you made a comment. I, I, I know you well enough to know you got the hedge a little, but you said, you know, there are some Democrats. When you say it's some Democrats that think that they didn't win, you're talking about the people that did a bye-bye through the election. Joe Biden did not cheat to win the election. He didn't even campaign to win the election. And I'm just going to under fact, Biden, Biden would have lost about the cheat. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. But Biden didn't do it. And right now, people are thinking that Joe Biden has the power. Well, first of all, he can't be, he can't be this uh, demented implant and then at the same time have the cognitive power to call up the Justice Department, to call up whatever it needs to do, and organize this whole thing against Trump. Biden can't do that. There are people behind all of this stuff, the cathedral, that are behind all of this stuff, and we'll never know. And, it, and I'll tell you what, you know, you're talking about Kennedy beating Nixon. I really wonder how many elections have been thrown by the cathedral and in what shape and form it was even 100 years ago. But I will tell you this, the Democrats aren't spitballing to see what's going to happen. They know what's going to happen. I think they may be worried that they will not be able to pull off what they pulled off uh, in 2020 with the bail-in balance. They wondered, in other words, they're wondering how many points they'd have to cheat to win. But I will tell you this. I don't know why Trump's doing this. I honestly don't. I've got to thinking this morning, if I were elected president today and I was put in office, I would like to think I would start attacking all of these things you were talking about. But what if I get in there and then somebody comes to see me that's a friend of a friend says, Breeze, here's the deal, buddy. I know you want to do all of this, but I got a better deal for you. Before this whole thing's over, you and your family is going to be worth billions, and we're going to take care of your sons and your son's sons and your son's sons, son's sons and daughters, and we're going to make life really good for you. Or we can do everything we can to destroy you and them. Which one are you going to pick? That's the old Pablo Escobar. Would you take silver or lead? And I'm not so sure I might not take the silver. But I'll tell you this, if Trump doesn't get elected and a Democrat is elected, then we'll know then that we have no power over anything. I, I just don't know what we'll do. And, I'll, and I wonder sometimes, do the, do the Democrats really want DeSantis to run? I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I do know this, that um, none of this is just people spitballing against the wall. These guys are in daggone war rooms figuring this whole thing out. And it's not Joe Biden, guys, you know, the Biden economy, the Biden this. Biden didn't do anything. 
And I really wonder how many presidents really did do anything that they weren't told to do by somebody more powerful than them. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it, my man. 843-661-0937. Bullet or, or lead or silver, that would be, I mean, when you try to use, I mean, this week, a couple of times we've talked about republic and empire. You know, m- maybe we're trying to be both. Maybe the empire part of it's gotten so far ahead of the republic. Maybe the republic is the, the lead and the empire is the silver. And it's easy to be a part of the American empire than it is the American republic because the American Republic requires a lot of work, not much pay. I mean, it literally is a buck eighty-five a year. I mean, that's a lot of money, but it's not, you know, $10 million stock portfolio, $100 million selling a business, uh, you know, getting your kid a job that pays him $300,000 a year. The empire can offer that sort of enticement. The Republic is truly about public service, right? I mean, I'm here to honor the, the, the wishes of the people who send me here. I mean, that's my job. I'm trying to make life better for average everyday Americans because that's who went to the ballot box and voted on my behalf. And on the other corner, in the other corner, you've got Raytheon, you got Wall Street, you got corporate America, you got all these well-heeled, well-funded, and they're offering silver. And I mean, I think Breeze is right. I don't care how good a heart and soul you have, um, silver seems to be more enticing than lead. I heard from John Decker yesterday. We talked about the segment from yesterday morning. So he went. He was on his way to the courthouse when he was on the air with us, and he was trying to get a seat in the courtroom. But he he was definitely, I guess, about three o'clock. He must have gotten a seat in the media room where they can watch the live video feed because he sent a text at three o'clock says he can see inside of the courtroom now. And the only other thing I heard from him was at five forty-two when everything was over. He just wrote surreal experience. Hmm. He's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Let me hush. He's a good guy and serves a great, great um, purpose on this feeble attempt at Radio Briggs. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. We'll be back in a few. As much as I don't like doing this, we got our honor of Ed in about 15 minutes. As much as I don't like rehashing the 2020 election, we're going to be forced to. We got indictments relating to the 2020 election. I went back and read some of what I'd read previously when I tried to explain to our listeners what I thought happened. I've never said the election was stolen. Have a rep. I've never said the election was stolen. I have said, I have said, I don't think Joe Biden got 81 million votes. There's no way. There's no way Joe Biden got 81 legitimately cast votes. You, You could argue whether the election was stolen fair and square or Mark Zuckerberg bought the election. I mean, I think that's legitimacy to that to that debate. Um, anybody ever heard of the Bayesian additive regression tree? <laughs> I didn't no. think you had. Bart. Let's use it as Bart. Yes. Um, have you? Really? Uh, if it's one I'm thinking of, kind of Bayes' theorem. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a machine learning algorithm. Yes. That basically, um, I mean, it's considered the gold standard in um, the world of making casual inferences. Right. And it would, it would, um, it would take correlation well, it would it would help you avoid making correlation for causation in your estimations. Mm. I think <laughs> okay. I said that right. I mean, you see where I'm headed. I mean, in other words, <laughs> cause and effect. Uh, what what is the correlation or the causation in some of these things? Well, they they applied the um, the Bart test to the the election of 2020. This is where you get computer generated statistical anomalies that you can't explain. Once again, the correlation of causation in estimations. And there, there's kind of a normal range, Josh. I mean, there's a, oh, okay, nothing's going to be exactly the same, 
but holy crap, you know, look at what happened here. And uh, as, as, as part of the input, they used the two-party Hillary Clinton 2016 vote share, uh, turnout percent in 2016, county share of the total state population, geographic location uh, measured in terms of longitude and latitude. I mean, they got real specific about this. Uh, and uh, per capita, uh, community tech civic, civic life, remember that group, that 501c3 that received the majority of Zuck Bucks? Um, and they basically plugged that all into this um, this algorithm. And the algorithm would show you the correlation between um, the, the causation and what the estimation would have been. And it blew it. I mean, they've never had one this off the charts. You know, they, they you could do weather that way. You could do traffic that way. They use this, you know, in a lot of different places. I'll tell you what, I, I've read about this one time before. If a hurricane were to come... What is the likelihood that this many people would go this many places? In other words, would they go south to Georgetown? Would they go north to North Myrtle Beach? You know what I mean? Would they get on 22 and 31 and 501? And you kind of run those models, and, and it gives you a range. And th- there's, there's an expected, you know, um, there, there's an expected discrepancy, that the estimates are not going to be the same. A little bit like a hurricane. You know, what, what are the mm-hmm. odds of a hurricane hitting here? What are the odds of a hurricane hitting there? Well, the 2020 presidential election – Let's say there's a Category 4 hurricane 20 miles off the coast of Puerto Rico, and it ends up hitting Finland. I mean, that's kind of what happened in 2020. Wow. I mean, there's a, a Category 3 hurricane 30 miles off the coast of Puerto Rico, and it, and it ends up you know, causing devastation in <laughs> Finland or Ireland so or somewhere like so that. So you're saying it's so far out of it's the predicted... So I mean, it, it blew the chart up. Hmm. I mean, it, it's like, it's almost like the machine says, you, you gave me the wrong information. I mean, you can't give me this much to chew on. Um, and and so, so you go and you take that and and you apply that metric. You apply that that algorithm. Um, and here's where it ends up. Um, well, let me, let, let's state a couple of facts here because I got about six minutes. Um, the federal and state governments spent about $480 million in the 2020 presidential election. That's about what they spent. I uh, could it's a half billion dollars. Mark Zuckerberg ended up spending about four hundred and twenty million. So Zuckerberg spent nearly as much as all the state and federal governments together conducting uh, the twenty twenty presidential election. Now Mark Zuckerberg didn't spend the money. I mean, he didn't write a check from Facebook to you know the um the 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 city of Philadelphia election commission. I mean, he didn't do that. It went to Center for Tech and Civic Life. That's a 501c3. Um, they're there to ensure democracy operates as, as should. Oh, yeah. um, the, there were 26 grants that exceeded a million dollars. The 26 grants cumulatively were, were about $100 million, about $95 million. 26 grants, $95 million from the Center for Tech and Civic Life to, you ready? Um, Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Flint, Dallas, Houston, Las Vegas, and Maricopa County. Uh, but those were the recipients. There were a few more. Those were the recipients of grants that exceeded a million dollars, about $100 million. On average, a vote is about 4 to $7. Uh, but that's about, that's about what a vote is. Uh, if they spend this much money, that turnout that it generates, it normally equates to about 4 to 7 dollars a vote somewhere between that a little more in rural areas 
a little less in, excuse me, a little less in rural areas, a little more in some of the urban areas. When you go to the 26 grants, and I'm talking about in, in Detroit, in Atlanta, in Green Bay, in Philadelphia, it was $47 per vote. I mean, you, you can say that's normal all you like. You can say there's nothing to see here. You can say there's no proof the election was stolen. I, I, something doesn't make sense. I mean, something just does not make sense. The 26 grants that, that exceeded a million dollars had about a, an 18% on average voter turnout increase. They went from a 66% uh, voter to a 84%. They went from a 71 to a, to a 90%. But that's kind of about what it, what it averaged. Now, everywhere else was about the same. I, I like the way we say, well, it was COVID. Well, it was COVID, and it was different. There's no doubt about it. But it was extremely different in these 26 areas that received grants. And the 26 areas were, once again, uh, Brown County, Wisconsin. That's us, a heavily Democrat. I mean, the only, well, I mean, it's, it's liberal. It's not African-American. It's liberal. I mean, I don't know why, but, but it is. Um, but you've got, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. The 12 of the 26 counties were about $60 million. Gwinnett County, Fulton County, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Detroit, they received the overwhelming majority of the money, and that's where the $47 um, per vote number comes from. Now, now you can believe that's normal. I mean, you, you can believe that many people hated Trump that much. I ain't buying it. I'm sorry. I don't buy it at all. I never bought it. I don't buy it today. I, I refuse to say the election was stolen. But, but you can't explain this. Reasonable people can, can disagree on what should have happened, what should happen. But, but, but here, I mean, like I said, the federal and state government spent, spent $479 million, roughly a half billion. Zuckerberg nearly matched that. And the lion's share of the money went to 26 grants in, once again, Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Flint, Dallas, Houston, Las Vegas, Maricopa County. And they spent about $47 per vote in those areas that had unbelievably high turnouts and, and were just overwhelmingly in favor of Joe Biden. Now, you may believe, once again, that that's random and that's just the way things were. Here's what I find interesting, because when I read, why would you spend that much money in Dallas and Houston? It's a trial balloon. I mean, as part of this, they went to, um. remember the 2018 Senate seat when Beto O'Rourke nearly upset Ted Cruz? Mm-hmm. That, and he lost by, I think, 218,000 votes. Um, they drove turnout, Democrat turnout up by about 200,000 votes. I mean, that was the trial balloon. When they invested in Dallas and Houston, they knew that Trump was going to win Texas, but they were laying the groundwork for what to do to beat Ted Cruz or to beat, who's the other senator from, um, from Texas? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, there's another. Anyway, yeah. uh, th- they were laying the groundwork to see what it would take. In other words, Beto came within 214,000 votes. This money drove Democrat turnout up somewhere between 200,000 and 250,000 votes. So if they invest again in a Senate race, driving up turnout in Houston and Dallas, they believe they can unseat a Republican with this ballot harvesting, you know, and all these other sorts of things. What's his name? John Cornyn. John Cornyn. You're right. Old guy. Establishment guy. But a good guy, (laughs) I think. Um, 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. Be back in just a minute to honor our vet.
This is one of the fun things we get to do, rewarding and paying respect to our veterans. I mean, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. I hope we can all agree that, um, you know, we, we debate about whether we should do this or whether we should do it. It doesn't matter. Somebody's got to go do it. These people have always been willing and able to go do whatever it is the body politic decides is in American uh, best interest. David Todd is with us this morning. Um, formerly of Toddville or still currently of Toddville? Still currently. See, of see, you, you know you're a big shot when you live in a town named after <laughs> named after the tribe. I know all those. That's down there near Ardtown, right? It, it, well, I mean, ain't no Ardtown. Okay. See, that, that, Todd Todd's would be insulted if we tried to gotcha. rename something Ardtown. Gotcha. Da- David retired as a technical sergeant from the U.S. Air Force after 20 years of service, stationed in Mississippi, North Carolina, and the Panama canal zone currently works in florence yes sir and the auto zone uh, david I, I want to congratulations first of all i didn't know you were in the armed services but what what led you as a young person to want to go down that road um my my father was in the in the navy and and i saw what it did for him and i wanted to do the same thing what did you do when you got in the armed services i mean you know we we some people work on things and some people shoot guns and and so well, i mean what what exactly um, was your responsibility? I was a crew chief on C-130s. What is a C-130? But I know what it is, but I want to hear a lot. I mean, that's that big old, big old monstrosity of a plane. It's a cargo airplane, and uh, we haul anything, anywhere, anytime. So what does a crew chief do? It, we do inspections. We gas. We change tires, brakes, windshields. Anything that needs to be done, we do it. Did you make sure, that, I mean, did, did, what was the majority of your service here? Or was some of the, your service abroad? Um, I did uh, four tours in in the Middle East. Mm, okay, and we were m- my unit being um, cargo. We we were four months home, four months there, four months home, four months there. So, and then um, I've been everywhere up from Great Britain to Kuwait, all up and down that corridor. Your father inspired you to do it. Yes, sir. I read your 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 notes here. Um, your son is now a member of the armed services. Yes, sir. He's what, in the, what is he doing? He's in the army. He is in uh, Korea right now. Okay. It would stand to reason that a crew chief, and I'm thinking about NASCAR here, not, not C-130, <laughs> but a car, mm-hmm. would come home and be inclined to be in, uh, I don't want to say the auto parts business, but something associated with fixing things. Right. Is that what kind of led you down that road? Well, uh, I, um, I just walked into the parts store one day, and when I... Came home and they were. You needed something to do. They were slam packed and I needed something to do and <laughs> and I asked for a job and two weeks later I was on the payroll. David, would would you encourage? I mean, obviously your son's there. You were there. Your father was a part of it. It's in your blood. I gotta believe. Yes, sir. But what about somebody who doesn't have that? I mean, it's not in their blood. But but they're they're 18 years old. They don't know what they want to do. I don't know who does at 18 years old. You know, right. to be honest with you, uh, the country's trying to steer them toward college. That's gotten real expensive, and we're having a debate about whether or not. Why should some young person consider the armed services as a career? Well, I mean, if, if they want to go to college and don't have uh, the money or the grants to go, the military will pay 100% of their tuition while they're active duty or in the Guard or Reserve. And um, there's different programs. Uh, you can go to while you're active. You can go to college and get degrees and just – shoot for the stars yeah make your decision and follow your dreams i guess is what you're saying you can do one tour or four-year enlistment or excuse me or you can do 20 years okay here's my last question 
what about all that serving your country made you a better employer or a better employee? I mean, you come home, you said you need something to do. Right. Um, I, I've, I've had some businesses in my life. I always looked favorable on someone who had served in the armed forces because I didn't believe I had to look for them when the doors opened. I, I thought they would be more dependable, more disciplined. Is that fair to say? Yes, sir. I mean, you're you're disciplined, and you if you're on time, you're late. If you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. And that's a, a trait and characteristic that ain't real common, right, in the world today. I got to believe you run, you're, you're <laughs> helping run a business. You struck your nine head. You see exactly. Yes, sir. Yeah, you kind of cross your fingers and hope they get there. Yes, sir. On time and, and pray they get there on time. Thank you. And I mean that sincerely. Um, are you officially the mayor of Toddville, or you just one of the um, or are you just on the council? I'm just on the council. Okay, he's just on the council of Todd. There's always arguing about who's the mayor of Toddville. Well, it just depends on who who had the biggest time last night, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, really? These are my people. I mean, I grew up around all these all these people. We're talking about building a truck beds down that way, and I've um. I've always appreciated, appreciated that family. So, Rev, we, we're saying thank you, mm -hmm. but we've got some sponsors who want to do a little more. Uh, we sure do, and our presenting sponsors of the Honor Event Program are Marlboro PD Electric Cooperative, Florence Toyota, and Pepsi-Cola of Florence. And we have a long list of supporting sponsors as well. Heinz Furniture, Stoudenmire Dowling Funeral Home, Boykin Air Conditioning Services, Swipe Payment Solutions, FTC, Tandem Health, Palmetto Mining, Liberty Guns, Piggly Wiggly of Hartsville and Darlington, Safe Federal Credit Union, at Your Service Home Care, Wholesale Carpet, Piggly Wiggly of Sumter, Manning, Bishopville, and Camden, and your CBD store in Florence. And we put together a little prize package with the help of our sponsors, too, that will be presented to you here right, uh, right when we get off the air this morning, including an oil change from Florence Toyota, gift bags from Pepsi-Cola of Florence, Tandem Health, and FTC. We have gift cards that are provided by Swipe Payment Solutions, Wholesale Carpet, Heinz Furniture, Piggly Wiggly of Darlington and Hartsville, Piggly Wiggly of Sumter, Manning, Bishopville, and Camden. Also, the 19th Green Indoor Golf Center. We have a gift basket courtesy of Boykin Heating and Air. We also will provide you an overnight hotel stay at Hotel Florence in downtown Florence and a gift card for dinner at Victor's located in the Hotel See, Florence downtown. See, I, I was nervous you were going to list an auto parts dealer, <laughs> like, like a $50 gift card from a competing auto. <laughs> right. He would have said thank you, but no thank you to that. Uh, you're on your way to work. I am, sir. Uh, congratulations, and thank you for your service to country. Yes, sir. We'll take a break, Josh. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. It takes Mondays to make Fridays. You folks are uh, unfortunate to hear me run my mouth 20 hours a week, but every now and then you're fortunate to hear someone who really knows what they're talking about. I can fake it with the best of them, but there are certain people who really know what they're talking about. And I text Robert last night or yesterday afternoon and asked if he'd join us this morning. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist, Trafalgar, is with us. Robert, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing great this morning. And before I get started, let me add, Last time I was on your show, I heard one of your ads for Peanut Patch. And so I've been buying these cans of bold peanuts ever since, and I'm just happy to be introduced to them. Those things are amazing. Good deal. <laughs> hey, thank you for the shout-out yep. to our good to our good sponsor. Welcome to the club. Okay, Robert, I'm going to opine for two seconds, and I'm going to get your take on this. Because I'm not a strategist. I'm not a pollster. I, I'm kind of instinctive, and my gut tells me something, and I run off this way or that way, and you, you were the guy that kind of – harnessed me and led me along and helped me understand you can't say that but you do need to say um this more often that there are two competing theories and 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 the the, the mainstream theory is let's indict trump because it helps him with his base it makes him more unbeatable in a republican primary and that's the guy we want to run against in november of 2024 
there's this alternate theory that that I kind of sort of uh, contemplate. You know, we know the indictments intensify his support. It makes it more likely he's the nominee. But we better be careful because I'm not sure we got 81 million legitimately cast votes, and this guy will be tougher to beat in November than we think he will be. What theory do you ascribe to, or what sort of hybrid do you believe is the truth? Well, I think they they might have started with this idea that they wanted to be him, uh, and and all these indictments would kind of soften him up in the general election. And I think they have moved to, he may win anyway, and we need to lock him up. I think they're really trying to put him in jail. And more importantly, even, even than getting him in jail, if they can get a conviction on the D.C. charges of either sedition or insurrection, then they can, the fight would move to a different sector of state's office as to whether he's ineligible to run according to the 14th Amendment. And so even while he could be appealing, they could be making the case to certain Secretary of State's office to take his name off the ballot. Um, so, but I think one of the mistakes they're making and what's penetrating the average people is why in the world are they so afraid of this guy? Why in the world is, is all the power of the federal government can be used to stop him? And that's what's helping to galvanize. Is this kind of sense among conservatives? If this is the guy they're attacking, he must be the leader. He must be. If this is the one they don't want, then he's the one that I do want. That's what I hear people telling me. Robert, um, but 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 other candidates. How do, I mean, if you were advising Ramaswamy or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or Brian say I mean, how do you advise them? You're running against a guy who's in the 40s or, or nearly 50 in the polls. He gets indicted, and you kind of defend Trump in the indictment. I mean, normally you would say you can't vote for a guy who's been indicted. I'm the next best thing. I mean, you, they're in a conundrum, right? Well, and and that's why I think probably Ramaswamy is handling it best. Uh, it, it was ne- you're never going to get where you need to be criticizing Trump, and people do need to be thinking about the next election. And I think Ramaswamy's put himself in a position where. In the next election, the Trump people would look at him and go, yeah, he was always loyal. He's, quote, unquote, one of us. And I think that's a smarter play. And, you know, I thought that's where we would see DeSantis. I was certain that he was going to kind of run that campaign of, hey, I'm just like Trump. I'm just more electable. But it isn't, that hasn't been how his campaign was run. And he, he has not taken out the hard positions. Uh, he, he, he moderated. I mean, he, you know, he hadn't jumped around positions, you know, kind of like a John Kerry or Nikki Haley, but certainly he has jumped to his positions and, uh, and, and, and moved back and forth on things and, and done everything that you can do wrong with a campaign, with spending too much money and hiring too much staff and all the stuff you do. You know, in a campaign, if you hire so many people, you spend more time trying to make sure everybody's doing their job than actually strategizing to win the election. And I think he fell into that trap. Robert, are there any charges that could eventually turn Trump voters away from Trump in droves enough that change the expected outcome of the primary? Yes, and I'm glad they were not filed against him. And I will not verbalize what they are. Interesting. 
So you think they've missed their chance to drive a wedge between Trump and his supporters? There are things they could have accused him of that would have hurt him with his supporters, and they did not do that. So is this an eventual nomination? I mean, is there if, if, if you say they've not done that, I mean, I, I don't see anything Trump can do to disenfranchise himself from his, his loyal army. Is Are we at the stage in this race to say it's inevitable he will be the nominee? I don't ever use the word inevitable because just because you got a four uh, you got a four lap lead doesn't mean you can't blow an engine. Things are always possible in politics. Anything can happen. And um, I would say he is in an excellent position. I say he is a stronger position today than he was in 2016 uh, when he was running uh, in, in the primary. And the other thing is what people don't understand is this thing is shaping up. I know I told you a long time ago about this third-party movement with no labels and Cornell West. The difference between 2020 and 2016 was Jill Stein. Those 2 or 3% she got everywhere was the margin of victory. Well, if this thing turns into a three-way race and, you, and you know, the, the just vehement never-Trumpers, that, are, that usually vote Republicans have somewhere to go other than Biden and some of the moderate Democrats who just think this, this party's gone too far have somewhere to go other than Trump. There's a, that is his best path. Uh, you know, Clinton won the vote with 43%. He got elected president of the United States with 43% of the vote. So a, a messy general election with, you know, Three kind of party groups, and maybe some, in, you know, maybe some like Cornell West out there. I think you're going to divide things a lot, and that is exactly what that, that's the formula Trump would need to win. If Donald Trump called Robert Cahaley tomorrow and said, "Robert, I want you to chair my committee to find a vice presidential candidate," what sort of qualities and characteristics are you looking for? I'm not saying who it is. I mean, that's an unfair question. But 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 oh, Nate, I'll do I'll, I'll do one better. I don't need to share it. The conversation is is five minutes. Your problem is with women, but when you run a woman, you have to run a woman that can relate to other women. So, if they're too good looking or too harsh, women aren't going to like them. And you need someone that that is respected, and got a little gray hair. And the answer is very simple: it's Marsha Blackburn. Wow. She's a senator. She gets a long way well with the other senators. Uh, she is the one who asks, can you give the definition of a woman? She is the kind of woman that women and women want their children and grandchildren to grow up to be. And I just think she's the perfect choice. So Christy Nome's too pretty. Looking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What if it's not Blackburn? I mean, it's, you and I talked the other week, a couple of weeks back about J.D. Vance. You think he's an interesting figure in the America First movement, and you believe that he helps in Western Pennsylvania. And I'm saying that Trump decides no to Blackburn and no to the woman, and he's hard-headed and stubborn like he seems to be at times, and he goes with J.D. Vance. Is that a good choice, and does that help him with Pennsylvania voters? I, I think it does, but I think there's a lot of people who really, really want J.D. Vance's voice in the Senate. And I think there are people who are disappointed because the thought is he needs to be in the Senate. His voice makes a difference. 
there are tons of people who are in the Senate who maybe run for president this year or other years whose absence would make no difference. J.D. Vance's absence in the Senate would hurt the quote-unquote movement. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona. Where is it most likely Trump has success? I go with least likely, uh, Michigan. Uh, most likely, I say Georgia and Arizona, and Pennsylvania third. Arizona, because well, there may very well be a three-way race for Senate, and from what I understand, no labels that I qualify to be on the ballot in Arizona. Uh, Georgia, just because Georgia, with a little bit of clamping down, it, it it's it's in much better shape with with the uh, drop boxes inside. If they just enforce the signatures, Georgia's in pretty good shape. Uh, they just got to watch what's going on in DeKalb County. I would suggest surrounding it with a national guard. Um, so, and then Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania might have been a bad law. But it was not a rejection of what I would call good old boy politics. It was an embrace of good old boy. Because anyone who watched that debate, I mean, all the operatives were like pro and an old. Did you see he kicked his butt? And I'm like, no. I saw a guy who came across as a a-hole in uh, Dr. Oz. And then I saw a guy who came across as a, as a regular guy who's just having a little trouble. And he could relate to people better. As much messed up as Fetterman is, he kind of seemed like the average guy. And so also when Biden ran, he promised not to do anything on the energy and he promised to, to protect uh, the uh, fracking and all the other stuff in Pennsylvania. And he's just been a failure on it. Uh, I mean, if Michigan hadn't blown their voting laws up by, by passing that amendment to let prisoners vote, it could be competitive because there's a lot of auto workers who are very angry about your cars and all that kind of stuff messing up what they're doing. But I'd say Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona are enough to win and uh, I think he's got a good shot at them. And then I put Wisconsin and Nevada one or the other. But Nevada's going to take a lot more ballot integrity and so is Wisconsin. But, Robert, have the Republicans gotten serious about the ground game? I mean, I, I get mailers. You get mailers. I hear stories. You hear stories. I need money to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, I'm arguing the campaigns today are more about strategy than policy. How do I identify voters? How do I get their votes cast and counted? Um, I'm afraid the Democrats are still significantly ahead of the Republicans. Yes, they're significantly ahead because they are about strategy more than policy. And the other thing is they have built a massive apparatus. The more you research and learn about Arabella and how they have set this up, it is complete genius. But the one thing, the biggest Democrat difference between the Democrats and the Republicans is the Democrats might be crooked, but they are honest when it comes to winning elections. They do not build the system. Their goal is winning. And the Republicans are crooked in that they want to make money before they want to win. And we have so many people um, who literally just act as vampires to all the money that's raised, 
they suck it away to make you know make twenty to thirty million dollars each year themselves, and and we get a shell of what we can have. Uh, I would I wouldn't send any money to if it's if you click on it says one red, don't send them the money. <laughs> I can tell you, um, you know, give money to the candidates that you like, but it is just this system is horrible. They asked uh, Josh Hawley the other day. You know, what was the biggest problem in 2022? Did he blame the candidates? No, he looked at the camera and said, Senate leadership. And he is right. They blew $250 million and won one seat. They literally let let Masters wither on the vine with just a little bit of expenditure could have saved him. They lied and told people that there was a real problem in Ohio and uh, Iowa and Utah on a conference call two weeks out. They took every nickel they got in and gave it to Lisa Murkowski and beat up uh, Kelly Chewbacca with it. They misdirected and misused and grifted all of it. And it's just a disaster. Interesting. Last question. Does Trump have enough money to defend himself adequately? You know, we were talking about this yesterday, about how funny it is when people hear that a campaign is paying legal bills, it usually hurts fundraising, but not in this case. People want to give him money to defend himself. Yes. I I think he has plenty of money. My my hope is that he spends the money on expensive lawyers who know what they're doing and doesn't try to get a deal. He is a deal maker. He always tries to get the best price. You don't do that with attorneys. Well, explain. You got to. You got to get people who need who know what they're doing. Robert, thank you for your time, my man. I really appreciate you getting up. I, I know you're like a rock star. You stay up late and sleep late. <laughs> we appreciate you breaking that rock star's routine to join us on Wake Up Carolina. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, I think I'm a rock star on Red Bull because um, uh, I don't really get to sleep in much anymore. Yeah, and I'll tell you this: I just sent you a screenshot. Uh, Libby's asking to go to the silver elephant. She enjoys your world more than she, <laughs> more than she enjoys mine. So I uh, appreciate any help you may, you may have. All right. Again, <laughs> thanks for introducing me to those peanuts, man. I'm <laughs> I hear you, my man. Hey, thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist, Trafalgar. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a second. 843-661-0937. I want to get clarity from Rev. So the Facebook live we're doing now, I mean, we're live Facebook, right? That's right. Okay. This hour. But the the breaks aren't broadcast. That's true. Okay, good deal. Yeah, good deal. We're we, all we all we're all protected. We, we um, have a we have a logo up there with no sound during the breaks. Okay, good deal. Did somebody hold on? Yes. Let's go to the phone. We got Senator Rick and Bob and Representative Lowe, but I want to go to the phone and make sure we um we've not been respectful, but the best we can do with our with our caller. Yeah, Charles and Lamar has been on hold through the uh, Robert Cahaley interview. So, Charles, you are on the air. Good morning. I just uh, want to respond to um, Williams. Uh, Joe Biden's own Bureau of Labor Statistics says 2.7 million jobs have been created during his presidency, not 13 million, 2.7 million. It just just proves what Ronald Reagan said when he was governor of California almost 60 years ago. It's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much which isn't true. Um, (laughs) 
but but anyway, I, I mean, I just wanted to, to to throw that out at you, and I didn't mind holding as long as I did. I took my lunch break and everything. Charles, let me ask you: Do you mind if I put you on the spot? You go right ahead. I didn't put me I, on the spot anytime you like. I didn't think you'd mind. What do you make of all these indictments? I mean, you, you, your your sphere of influence, the people that you kind of banter around with. What, what, what do they make of? I mean, sometimes I get so insulated. I get in my little bubble. We all get in our little bubble. Um, but but what, what do you sense people's reactions are to the indictment after indictment on President Trump? Well, this morning I opened up my Twitter and nine of the first 11 posts were anti-Trump rants. They finally got him. He's finally going to go to jail from people I don't even follow. So to that group of people, all these indictments are a wonderful thing. They think for some reason that uh, Trump is going to go to jail. For the America firsters, for the the Trump uh, supporters, all this does is create more support and make people more MAGA. I can't tell you how many people have told me in the last several months what's going on right now makes me more MAGA than I ever have been. Um, I personally, and I'm a salesperson, I am not an attorney. I personally believe we've got a First Amendment situation here where Jack Smith is attempting to take someone's First Amendment rights away. Now, everybody doesn't look at it that way. We we found out yesterday that if the Lincoln Project ever has an opening, John Decker can get a job there. We didn't realize that until yesterday, but or I didn't. But there are, uh, there are a lot of people who will now support Trump even more. There are some people who will support him even less, and I can't tell you what I make of that. I, I just... I think it guarantees him the Republican nomination. I don't know if it helps him in any way with the general. Well explained. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate your input. Um, they are Representative Lowson to Rick and Baugh here. Philip, I'll start with you if you don't mind. It, it, are we? I'm a Republican. You're a Republican. Mike's a Republican. Josh, Dave, Repu- Charles a Republican. Robert's a Republican. Are we running against, I'm not talking about you personally or Mike personally, but, but the party of which you're a part of, are we running against the federal government in theory? I mean, the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, the, the, the White House, uh, the administrative agencies within the federal government. Are we doing that, and are we comfortable with that being kind of a, um, uh, uh, a large part of our campaigning? We don't trust them, obviously. That, that's what's kind of what's going on. And, and this appears like they're in the pockets of the Democrats. And it, it's obvious to most people that you can't have four indictments against a, an ex-president unless the deep state is after you. So it's it's a crazy thing to watch. I mean, we've got two candidates here. Half of them in the Republican Party don't want Trump, and half of them in the Democrat Party don't want Biden. When, when does that ever occur? Where, where you just wonder who's going to show up. Now, Trump voters don't get to vote twice just because they're maddest, okay? You've got to expand beyond that, and you've got to get those independents. And the question is, is all this, all these attacks going to help him or hurt him? And I think Charles asked the question just right. You don't know. Is it going to expand 
the number of votes, just solidifying votes in the Republican Party in the game right now. Mike? Yeah, I believe the, the radical left has created a machine, a mechanism that has decided they will stop at nothing to make sure Donald Trump doesn't win. Doesn't matter what the will of the people is, that Donald Trump doesn't win. Uh, it's a fairly effective machine because they they didn't just control the media, they didn't just control a narrative from their own house, but they've now infiltrated the the federal government. I mean, here in whistleblower reports of of DOG DOJ and an FBI uh, witnesses who testified of the the manipulation of the process to go after Trump, but yet. You don't hear the news covering that. You don't hear people railing against um, some of those actors. It's an amazing process to watch from what I consider to be the greatest nation on, in the, on the planet. I'll stay with you for a second. So, so let's, I mean, we, we kind of all agreed that the Democrats have kind of um, hijacked the government. They, 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 they're in control of administrative agencies, the media, academia, a lot of forces working against us. Um, Robert led me to believe that Trump's edginess could be problematic with female voters, with, with, with independent voters. Do you agree that the VP pick should be someone? I mean, he said Marsha Blackburn. I'm not saying if you agree with that or not. But do you agree that as aggressive as Trump is, we've got to soften that edginess up a little bit to attract the voters who, for whatever reason, just don't like Trump's personality? Yeah, you know, I love listening to Robert. I sat in my car in the parking lot and listened to every word uh, with bated breath because I love his insight. As I could see him with a little bow tie on even right now this early this morning. <laughs> you know, 8 a.m. with a bow tie on. Uh, but, you know, he's he's a wizard at this. And if that's the demographic that Trump needs to win the White House in November of next year, then that's a, a pretty good call. I And I didn't even think about the fact that you know, candidly, if it's someone who's too attractive, that can turn off women. I Hearing that, I never would have fashioned that. I would have thought Carrie Lake, Christy Nome, even Nikki Haley, like, they're all really formidable women. Why not one of them? But, you know, if Robert says, ah, yeah, they can be too pretty and, and too attractive. Philip, do you believe that because Trump sh- struggles with suburban females that you and Mike do? I mean, do you believe there's a trickle-down effect there? Um, you, you can't, I mean, politics is about addition. You got to find more voters and more voters and more voters. Do you do you worry? Are you concerned that when female voters leave Trump, they could eventually just leave the Republican brand? Well, you know, the abortion issue uh, has cut out some of the females from the Republican Party temporarily. Maybe, maybe they're back. You know, they realize that the world didn't change that much overnight. But uh, I think. You've got you've got a lot of different reasons to pick a vice president, and and it was kind of funny because we we've skipped over and said, well, it's going to be Trump the nominee, and and so who's going to be the VP? We, we <laughs> no reason to talk about Trump anymore. I mean, that's done. <laughs> and so, uh, you but know, it does seem that way. You would agree it does well, seem that way. It, it feels like that, and, and all of these, unless there's something that can be tried and tested, and go through the appeals and got all the way to the Supreme Court. No one's going to give up on Trump, and all that can't happen in a year's time. Let, let, let's shift gears and go to Columbia. Uh, I, I sent you guys a text yesterday. Um, it's kind of—I mean, we argue with one another. We're talking about the Trump faction, the Never Trump faction. I mean, we can't say grace over a meal without arguing and yelling it at one another. Disagreeable. It's kind of fun to watch Democrats argue with one another. We don't see much of that, but we did this week in Columbia. 
with mm-hmm. Senator Harpootley and, and Representative Rutherford. You sent me the video, Mike. I mean, I'd watched a little bit of that. What, what, what do you make? Because at the center of this is the Judicial Merit Screening Committee, and there is a lot of questions. I think there was a master of equity mm-hmm. uh, involved in this. You've been someone who believes we need to reform our judicial system. Um, kind of, um, I mean, it is a bit, I saw Philip kind of nod his head laughing. You know both those guys, and it's kind of fun to watch them go at it. What, what, what did you make of that debate? Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful thing because it's shedding light. I mean, to be the front page of the state newspaper, it's shedding light on the fact that having lawyer legislators have so much impact on the judges that they will be trying cases in front of is inherently a a bad process. I wish Jay was here because I, and I know Jay and I disagree on that. I have a lot of respect for Jay um, and he's on JMSC, but I do believe that at the very fundamental core, you ask the majority of regular South Carolinians, would you be comfortable if your opponent's attorney in a trial is the same person who that that person got to choose the judge, decide if that judge stays on the bench. Is there not going to be some psychological ambivalence, some equivocation of that judge to say, you know, next year I'm coming up for election again, and that trial attorney right over there is going to decide whether I stay on the bench. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. That's just natural. There's a better way to do it than what we do. And it could be in the subconscious. I mean, right. It really and truly could be. Philip, I think you've, you've offered to me uh, kind of a thought. I mean, I, I think we talked about this off the air. Um, so some sort of compromise could include the governor having more appointees on the Judicial Merit Screening Committee. I mean, is it time to consider some sort of different way? Uh, yeah, I think the weakness is probably in the picking of the three. You get three judges and, and that committee comes up with them. I never understand the reasoning why somebody's found maybe at one time they're you know they're credible, everything's good, and the next time not. I mean, and there's judges that age. I don't know the status of the mental health of this judge they're talking about in Columbia. But you definitely had two personalities within the, the Democrat Party with, with nice-sized egos that went <laughs> at it, you know. And, and, and that's kind of healthy, too. I mean, to, to have debate, and you know, it got a little bit picky and name-calling there towards the end. But I don't think they followed quite the rules on how you schedule the meeting, and that upset some. And uh, I guess some of them want, the guy who's been there all this time, and some people want him found not competent and, and thrown out. But since he wasn't thrown out with the competency and some still didn't want him, then there's, there's just a battle in Richland County over the master of equity. Call it politics, don't they? And it's local only. That yep, doesn't you're affect right. us. You're right. That's not statewide. That's that's right there. So they're fighting it out in their own hometown. Yeah. The, the, the only thing I know that was inaccurate is when Todd called Dick ignorant. <laughs> Dick's a lot of thing. I'll assure you he ain't ignorant at all. Um, a really, really bright man. Um, we just disagree a lot. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. We're live on Facebook, right, Rev? How That's do you find true. us? Uh, you can go to the Live 95 Facebook page, the WDXY Facebook page, or the WTQS Facebook page. We're live on all three. Good deal. 843-661-0937. Representative Philip Lowe, Senator Mike Rickenbaugh with us today. It's not government's job to 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 promote concerts or build golf courses or uh have better restaurants but it is government's job to oversee ah, the policy that dictates what sort of economy you end up having philip you and i would agree that that you know when we talk about all the growth along the coast it's being largely retirees they're more interested in roads and bridges than they are um bowling alleys to serve cocktails and places to have concerts 
what have you always understood your role to be and try to improve the quality of life? You remember the General Assembly? What is the General Assembly's role in trying to improve the quality of life and attract younger people to South Carolina? Yeah, quality of life is has moved up to number two. Ten years' time, it went from about number 10 to number two on the reasons people come. So we, we have to think through that if we want growth. I certainly want my children to be close to me. I'd love for them to stay in town. And so far, I've been pretty lucky with my kids saying, Florence is a good enough place to live. So so what do you do for quality of life from a government standpoint? First of all, you get out of the way. You stop the regulations that prevent people from creating venues and, and events and problems. Yeah, I mean, just all the stuff. You can hardly get a, a one-day liquor license to have something on the street. Just things that you're in the way of. Uh, but uh, I think I think that Florence, you know, needs to continue on a, on a path of of looking for things, so you don't necessarily have to drive to Columbia and and drive. And it, you know, downtown has provided a lot of that. The state, one thing that I've tried to do is preserve some land for quality, for so environmental type issues conservation of of nice public lands that are going away the beach is growing so quick we're losing a lot of land i want to see some marshes i want to see some river swamps i want to see some mountains that are kind of preserved so that we have some of that so that that touches me a lot it's part of my quality of life i'm an outdoor person Uh, mike i've heard the complaint of florence not enough green space you know we got to develop what philip is basically saying is not the governor's job to build restaurants but let's not make it so dadgum hard to build one, you know, if you choose to. Yeah, and, and green space is important, and I think Florence is leaning into that. Um, our Parks and Recreation and our, our Visitors Bureau, um, with that South Carolina 7 that we did, we um, did brought in folks from across the state and kayak down uh, from Johnsonville, Lynch's River there, and people were amazed at how beautiful that is and the history of, you know, the Swamp Fox and Francis Marion's legacy and, and all that we have to offer. So I think it, the the private sector promoting what we have is, is a big part of it uh i do think that the government needs to be very careful what we try to affect i think private industry is better to do it i think one thing that the government can do though is um, as much as we have been doing it is economic development um, because if a company comes here take envision aesc for a company like that when they're going to need 1170 jobs they're going to want a workforce that they can count on for years to come so that's going to be the private sector's job to make sure that Florence in the PD has attractive aspects that will bring in employees. I'm so proud of our, our sheriff, Sheriff Joy, and our police chief, Heidler, um, that joint task force they did because quality of life is largely affected by crime reduction, reduction of violent crime and quality of life crime. So, yes, the, the murder, the rape, the assault and battery, those are, are horrible, horrible crimes that need to be uh, prosecuted and, and, and addressed. But the folks who break into your cars— um, the violation you feel when somebody breaks into your garage or breaks into your house may not be violent, but it's a quality of, of life crime there. And our, our sheriff and our police chiefs address the fact that um, figuring out that component is a big part of quality of life, and they're doing a heck of a good job doing it. And, Philip, hence the investment you decided to make with taxpayer dollars in law enforcement. I mean, you felt that was critical because if people aren't safe, they, they just they aren't moving. I mean, there is no quality of life if public safety isn't paramount. Yeah, defund the police was about the dumbest idea I heard <laughs> in a long time. Come on, I mean, it's tough enough now, especially in some neighborhoods, to to have a good quality of life. The you know, fear really it keeps you on your couch. It doesn't. You don't want to go out and deal with 
thugs that are out there selling drugs and petty crime that's going on all around you to even think that people can go into a store bring their own bag load it up and walk out and not be charged with shoplifting it just goes against the grain of american culture and you would agree that was an investment i mean i i, I use that word careful i mean I, I know we spend taxpayer dollars there's no other way to look at it but but y- your priority was to invest in law enforcement so they would have the assets and resources to make sure to mike's point at least we had a safe community and hope to attract uh, businesses and improve the quality of life. We had a financial need, but we also had a, a moral and a and to way to increase the morales of those people. My, uh, Mike, we got about a minute here, minute and a half, a couple of minutes. Um, you're, I don't want to say, you know, are you for Trump or not, but but does it concern you that there seems to be a leader of our party under constant attack by the federal government? I think what concerns me more than anything is one party's desire to silence the leader of another party by any means. Um, If the Democrats think they can beat Trump, then they should run their race and find their candidate. Um, I think Biden is the worst person they could choose, but find their candidate and, and try. But to attempt to silence him is essentially silencing his supporters. There's folks I know, as Charles mentioned earlier, that were not Trump fans who have said, you know what? Uh, this, as you would say, Ken, it's a bridge too far. Like they're going at him and they're trying to silence his voice so that he is not a formidable candidate. That's not America. And, and, and Philip, that, that's got the, I mean, it's almost, we're, we're, we're criminal, criminalizing politics and, and you gotta be, politics is squishy in nature. I mean, there is no exact answer to the exact question. And if I'm in politics, I, I gotta be concerned about where does this stop? And is this the beginning of, of criminalizing the, you know, politics? Yeah, free free speech should never be attacked. Say what you want. I mean, I, I can Whether laugh it's at wrong it. or not. That's right. Whatever. But you should never have somebody going before a court because they spoke. You know, unless you, you put people in harm, they're scared that they put the government in harm. Now, I believe I remember them saying early on that if you want to keep this republic, sometimes you got to fight for it. Yeah, Jane. Uh, Al Sharpton yesterday on MSNBC said, you know, can you imagine Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe challenging the government? Ain't that kind of what they did? I mean, isn't that kind of where we came from? This experiment we call America was born from, you know, um, in all honesty, aristocrats challenging uh, the British Empire, hence uh, the good old U.S. of A. Thanks to both of you. Uh, we can take it a break. Yep. Hey, how, how can someone watch? I mean, I, they know how to watch Facebook, but where are we located, yeah, Rev? Yeah, just go to one of the radio station, uh, Live 95 DXY or TQS, their Facebook page, and it shows that we're live, and now today's video will be archived when we shut it down here in a few minutes. And this is a this is an everyday feature from here on. It'll be happening more often. We must have a sponsor. Back in a few. <laughs> Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. We've talked a lot in the last several days about the indictment, the arraignment, the eventual trial. Um, you have an opinion about what you think the lay of the land is. I have an opinion about what I think the lay of the land is. If it weren't for Trump, it would be a monumental moment in American history. An American president walks into a courtroom and died and arraigned. For Trump, it's Thursday. <laughs> it's just right. it's just another one of those days that I have to show up at a courtroom for some indictment here. But no doubt, I mean, he was arraigned on charges relating to the 2020 election, Fox News Radio's Jared Halpern is with us from our nation's capital. Jared, good morning. How are you, sir? 
I am well. Good morning. So I'd like to say it's surreal, but I don't know that I'd be honest if I say it was surreal. It, it was something that we've seen well, before. Was there any, I, I don't want to say oldness to it, but, but it's not the first time we've ever seen this now. Well, no, although I think that there are some elements here that are very surreal, just given the venue here, right? You had a former president uh, whose motorcade delivered him to a federal courthouse where he was a criminal defendant in charges uh, connected to trying to overturn the 2020 election uh, as part of a broader investigation of the January 6th Capitol riot. This courthouse is one block from the United States Capitol. It is about five or six blocks, about a mile or so from the White House, the two sort of focal points of this investigation of this trial. That, to me, is a fairly significant um, event, right? But you are correct in that this was now the second federal indictment for uh, the former president, the third arraignment overall. We expect a fourth indictment maybe as early as next week out of Atlanta. Um, And so in that sense, yes, this is both extraordinary and routine, if you can have both of those in in the same sense. Well, I think you can because I've referred to Trump as an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I know that's kind of a hard, uh, okay, hard but but I do think he's both. Um, but, but Jared, let, let's, if you don't mind, I'm going to get your take. You'd be a very interesting person to ask this. There's a sensibility outside of the Beltway that, that I think is different that, than inside the Beltway. Um, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time in D.C. I visited there when I was in politics. Um, it is a very, I mean, a place that speaks to reverence and the history of our of our country. Trump embodies something opposite of that. As, as somebody who spends time in our nation's capital, do you think there's an awareness of, of, of I don't want to say Trumpism, that water, but, but do you think there's an awareness of what he represents or what he symbolizes? Well, certainly, because, you know, I, I think if you look at, at the support that he has, um, it certainly resonates with a lot of folks who feel that they have been forgotten uh, by the government. Now, these are the same types of sentiments that I think Republicans, Democrats alike want to, to convey, right, that they are out for um, the middle class, out for, for the working man. I, I think in many ways that was kind of the bread and butter of Joe Biden's candidacy uh, in a lot of his runs uh, for the Senate, right? But at the same time, I think that there is also here in D.C. a sense that um, they don't buy it, <laughs> right? That this is a guy that is, you know, a billionaire, uh, flies around in his own private uh, jet, uh, owned a hotel here in Washington, again, about a block and a half from where this federal courthouse is, in that there is a little bit of a disconnect between um, kind of what he says and and the lifestyle that he lives interesting imagine a politician being a bit hypocritical (laughs) (laughs) that's also well understood in washington yeah and 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 at least eventual success i i shall say jared thank you for your time have a great weekend sir that's kind of an interesting take on it and i just you know i wonder that a lot and i can't answer that question i don't have any idea uh what people inside of washington think believe suspect america first uh, to be about. I think it's interesting that Robert said a second ago that he would rather J.D. Vance not be on the ticket with Trump because he perceives Vance to be a movement leader. And if you're vice president to Donald Trump, you know what you are? You're second fiddle. I mean, Trump's not the kind of guy that's going to defer certain responsibilities, right? 
I mean, he's going to be the boss. I mean, it's not called Trump and such and such golf course. <laughs> you know, it's just not called uh, the Doral Trump or the 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 the, the St Andrews Trump or whatever the golf course is that he owns over in the uh, in uh, Ireland or Scotland or somewhere. Anyway, um, it's going to be Trump and then. You know, he's going to always be be first. I told Rev during the break, and Philip and Mike and I were talking about it. I can I can see a scenario. And if you want to ask, I mean, you know, what does Ken hope happens? Nobody asked me that, but I'll opine anyway. What Ken hope happens is Trump wins. It stabilizes America first. Trump becomes a bit vindictive. I mean, in the name of, you know, you try to impugn not just me, but the legions of people who believe that Washington is corrupt, it's crooked, it has left, you know, the forgotten man and woman. A lot of ways to describe that. But, but I think in leaving J.D. Vance in the Senate, you have a kind of an advocate. You have somebody who believes in something similar to Donald Trump. And, and I think Jared made a very interesting point. And, Josh, I don't know that we can answer that. I've, I've told people before that I am fundamentally aligned with America first. I believe that Washington lost its way. I believe that Washington fed itself before it fed the country. I think Washington got fat and happy, and, and I think it left people behind. And in a republic, that's not the way we govern. You govern on behalf of the people that send you to Washington to do that very um, beautiful honor. We didn't do that. We took uh, the money from the military-industrial complex, corporate America, Wall Street. They came first. I understand it. I mean, I played a scenario out to Rev. And he's, he's admitted to me. I don't know if I could be that pure. Let, let, let's say hypothetically that Rev gets elected to Congress and he goes to Washington and he demonstrates an ability to rally some troops. Rev can be somewhat effective in convincing others to kind of follow his lead. Um, that's called leadership. Someone comes to see Rev from the, I mean, the military industrial complex. I mean, that's a trillion dollar a year expenditure. Uh, one company doesn't get it all, but it, it's, it's an annual and recurring expense. It's a trillion dollars annually, eight hundred sixty or eighty billion dollars, um, give or take a billion. It's a it's a trillion bucks, and it's not a one time expenditure. But but Rev goes there with, with the notion of uh, Rev, Rev, I'm an America firster. I'm going to Washington. I'm going to do the people's business in the name of a republic. I'm not going to let the empire get the best of me. I understand there's this ancillary force. I understand it's mighty powerful. I understand it can be intoxicating. But I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm going there to do what I told the people I would do, and that is advance a republic in the name of the American people. And somebody from the military-industrial complex comes and sees Congressman Baker, and they ask about his kid. Hey, I understand you got this kid that's in the construction business. Um, we happen to have a, a lot of jobs in that sector of the economy. We have to have a lot of opportunities in that sector that why don't you give me your kid's resume but I mean, there's no mention of quid pro quo there's no mention of pay for play um but res kids making let's just hypothetically say res kids out of college making 80 90 grand he's done well got a degree in college and he's kind of advanced in his career a little bit doing well um Rev's proud of him but all of a sudden there's a a lobbyist or a consultant saying ah, 200 grand's a lot more 90 grand you know, potentially being a director and, you know, and all these other. I mean, how hard is it to say, yeah, but I came here to do the bidding for the republic. 
I didn't come here to get consumed by the empire. I didn't come here to get consumed uh, by the swamp. Yeah, I'm in the machine yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that's like, God, that's, that's hard. Yeah. And that's what people deal with every day. The reason you're not hearing a lot of criticism by some of the old hands in Washington about Hunter and Joe Biden is there's so many people who have done exactly the same thing. I mean, they didn't end up president, but there's no telling how many kids and, and family members of consequential and powerful politicians that are in jobs they probably wouldn't be in. I mean, it's just it's the nature of the business. And I think it's understandable why it's so intoxicating. You know, I want to go do the right thing for the people that sent me there. But I've got this chance to, you know, generationally take care of my family. You know, I don't make as much as I could in the private sector. Somebody smart like me, hardworking like me, I mean, I could make more than 185. I'd be CEO of a company making four or $500,000 a year. Um, so they offer my kid a couple of hundred. It's kind of the way I get even for being the public servant that, that I choose to be. I mean, it's just, I'm playing that out. It happens every day. It happens far more than you can imagine. Uh, somebody said, why do they all go to Washington and become corrupt? The better question is, how in the hell do a few of them go there and not be um, corrupt? <laughs> that, that would be fundamentally a more interesting uh, debate to have. Anyway, uh, do we have a call? Uh, we do. Okay, let's go to the phone. David in the PD, good morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, Ken. Uh, I know you've talked a lot about um, college towns uh, in the past, and I heard Robert, he was talking about Wisconsin. You know, there's a Dane County in Wisconsin, and Trump had won that one. Uh, in other words, he, it flipped by 34,000 votes, Dane County. Dane County is a capital city and a college town. Um, so Biden only won that by 20,000 votes. So the college town, the capital city, and you think about the college town, the capital city, just like Columbia. Columbia is the second bluest uh, county in this whole state, um, we go to Athens, Georgia, 70% for Biden. Uh, Athens, Ohio is a blue dot on the red map in Ohio. So you made a good point about that. But my question to uh, Robert is, Christy Nome is too good looking? What is that all about? Thank you, David. Appreciate it. There's a belief, and I, I mean, I, I believe it. I think people, people are naturally jealous to some degree. I think we all harness and control and constrain ourselves every now and then, but some let it get the best of us. And I think women have a problem voting for a beautiful woman. I'm not saying Christy Nelson's beautiful. I mean, she's an attractive female. But, but at some point in time, women begrudge or are jealous of other women who get all that attention. I think men are like that as well. I just think we're a little more primitive. You know, we're, we're, we'll kind of say these things. I say, I think women, women are, are less primitive than men. Um, I think men kind of admire it in other guys. In a while, weird way. Yeah. In kind of a weird way. I, I would kind agree like, to that. Man, I wish I was like that, dude. While, while women, it kind of manifests as hate. Well, Just, jealousy, yes. You know that that um resentment. I mean, th there's a lot of adjectives there you can use. I don't, I don't know what the exact word is, but I've seen studies and and um and I had a woman text me, uh, a female text me during Robert saying that that said he's exactly right. You, you're more inclined to vote for a 
an attractive but not striking woman if you're female. Now, I don't know where the study is. I mean, I have no idea if it's Harvard did a study and Yale did a study or, you know, um, Clemson or South Carolina. I got no idea. But but something tells me, I've told you guys before, I'm not very analytic. I'm instinctive and gut-driven, and my gut and instinct say, as Robert's exactly right, um, you give a woman, a female voter, and I'm talking about Main Street USA, you give a female voter a chance to vote for a a a, a pretty but conservative woman or someone who was striking and, you know what I mean, playing that. I, I just think women, by and large, will say thank you but no thank you because um, you think you're all that. I mean, I, I think the ballot basically, well, the casting of the ballot basically says, I vote against you because you think you're all that. You do your crossfit, you wear your sleeveless shirts, you let me see your, your well-toned body. Um, now, I, I've gone on the record. I'm a Republican, <laughs> but if given a chance to vote for Ashley Judd or Mitch McConnell, I'm in the tank for Judd. <laughs> I'm a dude. I mean, I don't make any bones about that. If I were a voter in Kentucky and Ashley Judd and Mitch McConnell were debating one another, Judd is going to, because she's bat crap crazy, so Ashley Judd is going to say nothing I agree with. Mitch McConnell's over here, you know what I mean, when he's not half asleep or mm. having a stroke, and I want to be respectful of McConnell, but go home, old man, um, and find somebody younger, Kentucky. Uh, it's time. I mean, it's time to stop voting for 80-year-olds. Let me say that again. It's time to stop voting for 80-year-old men or women. Um, but, but you know, we, we, all, we, we all are affected or influenced by things that we wish we weren't affected or influenced by. There's a scene in the movie Elvis. Colonel Parker says that somebody told him about Elvis. He thought he was African-American. He heard a, radio, a song on the radio. He thought he was African-American. And somebody said, that's a white boy. That can't be a white boy. It is. Well, I got to find this white boy. You know, Colonel Parker's thinking about marketing and branding and all this. Talking about Trump being interesting. Colonel Parker was kind of that kind or that sort of person. But anyway, he finds Elvis and he goes to the concert, one of these county fairs or whatever Elvis plays at. And he says he saw women smile in a way they knew they'd be embarrassed if you knew what they were smiling about. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're all human creatures. I mean, I, I don't care what anybody tries to argue. We are all human beings. We're not Vulcans. We don't respond, react on logic. Emotions become a part of that. And, and I do believe that emotionally, women are less likely to vote for another woman that they think is all that. And I think physical beauty kind of leads into Oh, you think you're all that. You go to the gym nine days a week. Or we use a Beatles song, eight days a week. Um, I'll show you. I'll vote for the other for the other person. And I don't know if jealousy is the motivation, resentment. Uh, no idea. But but I do believe it's real. And, and I, I don't think it's subconscious. I mean, I think it's very conscious. I think you're very aware of what you're – it's weird what people vote for and against. I mean, having run for office – and, and studied it a little bit and tried to understand, you know, the, uh, the psycho babble that goes along. It's interesting and curious what makes people vote or like this candidate over, over another. Uh, I've got friends in my world that don't know anything about politics. Saw George W. Bush with a Carhartt jacket, a Ford pickup, and a dog. Good enough for them. Looked like a real dude. That's uh, good enough for them. Uh, but he, but he stands, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an interventionist. He's a globalist. Do you not know what his father was? The country club Republican. I don't care. He looked like a normal dude with that Carhartt <laughs> jacket, that Ford pickup, and mm-hmm. that dog kind of looking over, looking over the top and of And what, what have you said all along? For one of the first things you talk to me about in politics. Do I know you? Do I like you? That's it. That's it. That, and, and you make that 
uh, initial uh, reaction has a lot to do with, do I like you? Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Baron in Hartsville. Good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, y'all. Not to distract from the good-looking politician uh, discussion, <laughs> but I want to ask a, maybe a counterintuitive to us Republicans question. Maybe we don't pay politicians and their staff enough. You know, if you go up there and you make 140 and you're squaring off against some captain industry or junior executive that you're trying to regulate or write a law about, and they're making 400 or your staff's trying to write that law for you, and they're making 35 maybe 60 and live, have to live in Washington, D.C., and the person they're writing the law about, or even the other way, the person they're dealing with in the executive branch who's a GS-14 making 100 grand, they're going to walk all over them. So maybe in Congress we aren't paying enough to get the right kind of talent. So what's the number, Baron? I'll give you an example because I don't disagree with that. I think that's an interesting point. Here's what I've said to my Gamecock buddies. We, we, you know, the SEC and the ACC for that, Dabo would be one. But if you put Jimmy Sexton in a room cutting a deal with an athletics director from any major university, who do you think wins that debate? Yeah, I, mean, right. I mean, Jimmy it, Sexton's making 20% of whatever the coach makes. You've got an AD who probably came from academia. He might have been a basketball or a baseball or a football coach, probably got a degree in sports management. But you've got a cutthroat capitalist on the other side. You've got Jimmy Sexton in that room trying to squeeze every red cent out of that university possibly can. He doesn't care what tickets have to cost. He doesn't care what parking costs. He's there doing the bidding for his client. And I've always said Jimmy Sexton's going to beat every AD in America's brains out in a negotiation, that's kind of the point you're making, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what's the number? I mean, what, what, if, a, if a member of Congress is being out-negotiated by superior talent, what's the number to attract equal talent? I think you have two numbers. I think one's how do you get the right congressman or how do you induce the right people to run for Congress or not induce them to be corrupt. And I think that number's got to be high. I, I, I'd say a million bucks a year for a congressman and two million for a senator mm. for their staff i cut them loose i say well I'll, again i'll do two i look at either i'd take i'd lock it to the median income and say you know we want the best talent in america or within reason to go work in our legislative branch let's double the median income of their district or i'd cut a big figure loose with the congressmen themselves and let them decide, do I want more people at a lower rate, or do I want to pay a large amount for five or six greats? But I don't think 140 and 35 are doing it. Don't disagree. Thank you, Barrett. Appreciate that. That is such an interesting argument. And I've had that argument with, uh, with friends of mine in the political world. You know, either you pay the congressman the median salary of the state he represents, or you pay the congressman enough to... Keep him straight. A, a lot of money. I mean, you, you know, you, you got it. You got a business guy making three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year running his business. Somebody's I mean, making good money, doing exceedingly well. He's competent, smart, diligent. W would make an ex excellent congressman, but he's not taking a fifty percent pay cut, right? I mean, he's just not right. going to do that. So all of a sudden, the, the guy making three fifty running his business says, "Man, I, I think I could go to Washington to make a difference." I mean, I, I understand the way the world works. 
Um, but I can't take that pay cut. I just can't do that. But but what if the guy was going to double his salary by going to work for the federal government? I just, I mean, I'm not saying I'm for or against it, but I think it's a very interesting theory to throw out there as we debate how to better govern ourselves. Josh, you want to jump in? Yeah, I remember in 2020, Andrew Yang suggested that uh, the government allot $1,000. And I don't know if I agree with that figure, but somehow the government gives every American citizen universal basic income. Yes. Well, they get like $100 or $1,000 that they don't have direct access to, but uh, can choose which candidate to donate it to. And that's the only thing they can do with that amount of money. And I get that there's logistical issues and stuff, but I think in principle, that'd be a good idea. But can't we all agree? I mean, can't Barron, me, you, Jimmy Sexton, you know, whoever the <laughs> ADs in, in SEC land are, can't we all agree that we're a terribly governed nation today? I mean, can't we yes. agree to that? I mean, it, it's yes. self-government, and it's going to be hard. And the bigger and more diverse we get, the more complicated and, and challenging it does get. But, but what motivates most of us to do a better job? Right. I mean, what 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 really and truly motivates you and I to do a better job? It's money. money. I mean, it's, it's money. I mean, you know, if, if, if I thought there was twice as much money to be made, if our ratings went up 10 percent, we would try even harder than we do. I'd like to believe I give it the old, you know, um, the old yeoman's shot. I mean, I'd like to believe we give it all we've got. But but money is unbelievably motivating in today's society. And I don't think there's any any shame in that. People like to live good lives. They like to have nice things. Um, they like to have a little financial security. I, I just think it's very interesting. So, so, so what Barron is arguing is, and, and I, I kind of agree with it, if the state of South Carolina's median income is sixty grand, make it a number up. I have no idea what it is, but it's I bet it's close to that. But it's sixty grand, and you're paying a member of Congress a buck fifty. You're, you're okay. You can go to Washington. You can you can live a decent life. But are you getting the best people? Are you getting the highest caliber people? Is your life better, Rev, if we have competent, smart, diligent people in Congress or running Apple? I would think Congress. And or, it would, be, run, a, it running, would be a change, Or running too. General Motors. You know, I mean, I, I think talent goes to where the money is. Yep. I mean, why, why is Palo Alto full of talented people? Why is Wall Street? I mean, like it or not, th those are very smart, talented people. I mean, I argue. If we agree that they're not doing a good job handling our well, affairs right now. And, and and it goes back to what I've said. You know, um, once in, in business, you don't fix things that aren't broken. I mean, you're looking for better ways always. You're trying to innovate and be creative and, and streamlining and make it efficient. I mean, I, that business guys and women do that out of necessity. You have to do that. But, but the majority of people are motivated by what do I get to put in the bank every week, every month, every quarter, every year. And, and I think you attract superior talent when you make it financially worth, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, I'd love to say this guys, I'd love to say that George Washington was right. Put the plow down and go back home, but we don't have term limits. We're not going to ever have term limits. We're going to continue to send certain kinds of people to do certain things within, within our government. Why not try and figure out a way to find the best and brightest to maybe do a better job at self-governance. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Hey Joe, you're on the air. Then we have to come up with another system because that system doesn't work within the framework of our Constitution. Like uh, Benjamin Franklin says, you know, this Constitution is for moral people, 
and will not work under that system in any other system. So, But Franklin wasn't a real moral to, man, Joe. I mean, he was a smart well, guy, but, I mean, Benjamin Franklin was not a very moral man. None of us are. We're all fallen. I mean, but they were inspired to write the Constitution. And if you read the Constitution as a whole, it is the greatest document that other than the Bible that this world has ever seen. It's made to repair itself. I think that's what Washington said. Let us raise a standard that can repair itself. And they did. But if, if your motivation is money, you know, we're, we're pretty much done. But you would accept, I mean, you're a smart man, you would accept as the mayor of Realville that that is what most people are motivated by. Yes, and that's why we need to bring the, if, if it's motivated by money, let the representatives work in their home in South Carolina in their local office, do a Zoom if they need to go to, to Washington like in the old days, they went to, to Philadelphia or wherever once every six months. Or what? How many laws can they pass? I mean, they regulate every aspect of our life. We're going to borrow two and a half trillion dollars this year. You know, you got you got a guy prosecuting Trump who was trying to extort his co-defendant attorney, telling him. You know, it looked real good on your judgeship if you get your guy to turn over on Trump. I mean, we have gone nuts. And now we're talking about somebody like Christie Nolan is too pretty to run for vice president. I'm, I'm living in the third universe, and I don't believe. I, if you ask Mike Rickenball this morning, silver or lead? I guarantee you I know the answer to that question with him. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I honestly don't. I think there are very good, decent, moral, ethical people to go to Washington, and they become victims. And and I can understand it. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I'm not. you know, Franklin and Jefferson wrote about a moral and ethical, you know, government. I mean, check their morality and ethics. I mean, they, they, they held other people to a higher standard. I think they understood exactly what they were doing. I mean, I'm not accusing them of misrepresenting. I think they understood that self-governance was going to require a, a degree of um, altruism and, and, you know, um, putting others ahead of yourself and, you know, the betterment of mankind and the common good. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that, but there, there's something called human nature. There's something called the flesh. I mean, there's something called, I mean, imagine Franklin and Jefferson sitting down, two of the brightest men of their time, no question about it. Jefferson's probably, I mean, Jefferson's fingerprints are probably more pronounced on our nation than any of our founders. I mean, we're living, I mean, I, I think the federal government would, I mean, Hamilton probably won the war. I mean, the first 30, 40, maybe 50 years of America was about Jeffersonian government, limited government. We did some pretty cool things in regards to that. But but I and I think when Jefferson and and Franklin and Adams and Madison and Hamilton and all these other men who were very capable, competent, and qualified, I mean I think they understood the challenges of the flesh, the challenges of power and influence. I think that's why they tried to limit what the government could do. I mean, why do you want to take over? I mean, if, if you're a power seeking, you know, money hungry man or, or woman for that matter. 
but the government has very little power at the central level, why do you aspire to be in charge of it? That's what happened. At some point in time in our nation, we deferred and transitioned from the power of being in all these local laboratories of government to the federal government. And Dr. Thigpen will argue the day we pass the income tax, I mean, those who have the goal rules, and the day the federal government amended the Constitution and the income tax became law of the land, which was, what, 105 or 6 or 8? Nah, probably about 110 years ago now. 2013? I mean, now, excuse me, 1913? Am I right there? Something like that. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, that was the game changer. I mean, that, that, you know, that created the revenue stream, and they could bait people with money. They could bribe people with money. They could, um, you know, kind of egg people along, along with money. I don't disagree in theory or philosophy or the, the philosophy of Joe. I don't. I mean, I, I romance about that. I mean, I'd love to see our government be limited. I'd love to see the states and, and, and locales be our laboratories that we figure out what works and what doesn't work. But, but you know, we built a monster. We built an empire. I mean, I've said it all week, last week as well. We've built an empire. When the, is it? The 16th Amendment to the Constitution ratified on February 3rd, 1913. 1913. I mean, I knew, I thought it was in 15 or 13, but, um, and that was the game changer. I mean, that's when the, the federal government had a revenue stream yeah. to, to basically uh, make a lot of decisions that, you know, Federalist and, and Jeffersonians believe were better left at different levels of government. That train has left the barn. <laughs> right. That horse has left the station. <laughs> Um, or as we say in Pamplico, sometimes it bees like that. <laughs> Good luck mm. trying to fix it. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Time for our Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. I'm telling you the two Celsius days of the week. I mean, I, I, I'm watering it down, but I'm getting my caffeine. I'm infusing my body with caffeine at a more moderate rate. And I don't think I'm slurring words. I mean, I know I'm spitting all over the place, and that's what worries me about Facebook Live. <laughs> and sometimes you it's, talk faster. Well, I mean, I, I think I do. Like, and, and I'll say that. I'll say this because you have talked about watering down the Celsius before in the Aquafina bottle here. If you're interested to hear and see actually how he does that, he was doing that during our Facebook Live. The video is the, the archive of the 8 o'clock hour is on Facebook today. And if you go there and watch the video, you'll see while guests are talking, he's there working on his Celsius concoction. The concern I have about Facebook Live is the inappropriate dig and scratch. We got to be we got <laughs> to be, be aware about the inappropriate yep. dig and scratch. Yep. Uh, so, so so anyway, the cameras are rolling, and as my football coach famously said, "The eye in the sky don't lie." Mm -hmm. You either missed that block or you didn't during the during the game on the sideline. You missed that block, no sir, no sir. Monday watching film, yeah, you did. You missed it real bad. Um, <laughs> You were terrible at it. So Pepsi of Florence, for whatever reason, still supports this nonsense. We really appreciate what they do for us. Um, here's the question. You ready? How many times has the Constitution of the United States been amended? 843-661-0937. How many times has the Constitution of this formerly great nation um, <laughs> has it been, nice. has on, it been amended? Um, thanks to our good friends at Pepsi. Correct call or first correct answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays to Make Fridays T-shirts. 843-661-0937. I was hoping we had a constitutional scholar out there somewhere. It looks like Google carries the day <laughs> on this one. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Never. Nah, you're wrong. 843-661-0937. How many times... Has the Constitution been amended? 
Like we talked about the, the 16th in the last segment. See, and I thought it was the 17th. I knew it was uh, 1913, but I thought it was the 17th Amendment. Um, so we know it's been amended that many times. What's the answer? Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Uh, 27. You're right. 27 times the Constitution of the United States has been amended. Who is this? Where are you calling from? This is Joel from Mullins. Thank you, sir, Joel. Hang on just a couple of minutes. We'll get you back to Josh. Thank you for listening. Thank you for li- uh, calling. Thanks to Pepsi of Florence for um, staying on board and supporting this very feeble attempt at Radio Brilliance. The 27th Amendment basically is talking about pay and what they should make and what they shouldn't make. Um, prohibits any law that increases or decreases the salary of members of Congress taking effect until after the next election of the House of Representatives has occurred. So you can't vote yourself a pay raise while you're uh, directly. In the, yeah, directly. Yeah. I mean, you can, but not not directly. You have to be not, reelected to get it. Not in real time. There you go. Not, not in real time. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning. Uh, they, uh, I think you're very uh, proposing something dangerous because we're getting enough trouble with these stupid people up there. If you get some really bright people that aren't necessarily moral or really have our interests at heart, I think that that would be the end of humanity. We wouldn't have to wait for AI to do us in. Say that again, Mike. Run that by me again. If we got really smart people up there, I think considering what the stupid people we've got up there now have done, that we would be, it would end civilization, certainly in this country. But, but do you do really you not smart. agree? Okay, I'll, I'll see where you're headed. Smart people are more dangerous. I mean, I've said it before. He don't worry because he's dumb. I mean, this guy scares me to death because I know he's not very dumb. But don't you believe that if you increased, and I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. But I think there's an interesting debate about what if a member of Congress were making a million dollars a year instead of a buck 40, wouldn't, be they, wouldn't they be less likely to be enticed by some of the, um, you know, after congressional lobbying and consulting class and whatnot? Well, I think you'd get, uh, it'd make it more expensive to buy one, but uh, people portray <laughs> their country. It would make it more expensive yeah. to buy one. Okay. Good, I don't good. disagree yeah, with that either. You're right. The price of a congressman <laughs> well, I, I, went from $2 million to $10 million. Well, see, uh, people betray their country and their uh, morals for a variety of reasons. Uh, some of them social, some of them uh, money, uh, some of them just because they can. Some people just do stuff because they they can do it. I had a trustee working for me one time that I said, why did you do this? You can make lots of money uh, and uh, – you made lots of money on your own. Why did you do this? And he said, because I could. I like to do it. And he he just liked to steal things. That's all there is to it. Thank you, sir. And Appreciate so, I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, well, if we, we've got to get back to being a moral country, and I don't know how we get there, really, except by the grace of God. I think uh, it's going to take a lot of prayer and a lot of work. Well said. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. And I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think self-governance allows people to be liberated. Along with that liberation comes choices and opportunities and options. And people don't always make the best choice. They take advantage of opportunities. They have options to do things that are in the country's best interest or in their best interest. And at times they conflict with one another. And I, I don't disagree. I mean, I don't have the answer to any of that. I guess send Vulcans to Washington.
I'm let, <laughs> let's you know, let's get Elon Musk and Peter Thiel together and build some robots that can't be influenced by anything. <laughs> and pay them a million dollars. Or, yeah, and pay them a million dollars. Uh, so the price of a congressman just simply was <laughs> good. Kind of a sliding scale uh, of the economy. Take a hey, enjoy your day. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.